Welcome to episode 438 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 438 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Good, thank you. Yep. You feeling on top of the world? Top of the world? Well, say. if I'm honest, I mean, get the, get your tissues ready. I've got, you know, life's just falling apart. My kitchen's still not ready. I didn't win any money at the races. Oh, you didn't win Still did... injured. So. Wait, well, wait a second. <laughs> There's a few things I want. First of all, your new shoes are cool. Thank you. I was impressed with your shoes. Yeah. You put fashion. Good. Had the cool shorts as well. Good. Walked in this morning, I thought, Newton's looking fashion. Okay. So I'll give you some love there. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's assess all these. Kitchen, what's happening? Kitchen is progressing. Slowly? Rough, roughly on target, a little bit of a delay. What was but, the delay? Well, the kitchen units were delayed. They were supposed to go in last Wednesday, started going in yesterday. Oh. So we were seeing some progress, but it's, it's still another another two weeks without until we actually get fully operational. What's happening with the injury? Uh, no progress. But I think I'm going to try running tomorrow just to see if well, I that's can stre- help the injury. stretch it <laughs> out a, a little bit. It's a strategy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've got to put my hand up and say I'm not being particularly proactive December first is. Uh, Have you seen a medical professional? Uh, December, December first is oh, official. Okay. So you go date. for a run tomorrow to hope it comes right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go to the physio. Uh, do as I say, not as I do. Is yes. there a bit of that? Yeah. yeah. Good. And then uh, lastly, the races. races. Did, you, did you go put all your bets on in the morning? Pretty much. I did it in two batches, and so we missed the first two races. We were in the queue. There's a long queue to get in. Yeah. I was like, we're gonna miss the second race. If three or twelve comes in, I'm gonna be pissed. And got in, and they didn't. So I was okay with okay. that. And so then I had eight races, and I got uh, pretty sure I got zero from eight. Oh no! Although thankfully Belinda held things up and got a couple. But uh, how yeah. much? How much did you gamble for the day? I think we only ended up being fifty bucks down or something yeah. like that, fifty yeah. or seventy bucks yeah. down. So it wasn't devastated, but it's like surely even if you're just playing the odds, you've got to give something, and we got nothing. Uh. Well, I went to races on Tuesday, John. Yeah, and you lost as well because I, I saw Joe in the park. I didn't win anything. No. I didn't win one bit, although I bet trifectas every time, so probably didn't have my strategy. And I went with three horses, so I did box trifectas with only three horses. But still, not one, although we did have a syndicate. We put $10 into it, and we came out for about 12 bucks. So <laughs> nice. We had a big day at the races. <laughs> I guess, uh, I'm talking proudly brought to you by... Coffeesofway.com. The best coffee in the world. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. And extreme endurance. Galactic buffer. Okay, guys, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a little bit of news, and we've also got an interview. Mm-hmm. So Phoebe Sanders, who is the lovely partner of uh, regular contributor to the show, Tim Hemming. What's Tim's nickname? The tennis guru? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably got a good... I don't know, he's probably got him. I'm sure he's donated. Yeah, no, no, he's yeah. got a name. Yeah. Um, in the coach's corner. Well, we're going to see how how time's going. So we just had a question on nutrition, so I thought I'd bring that up again. Yeah, just, <laughs> just open that door just, again. And... Uh, <laughs> 
then we've got some questions and answers at the end. Okay, we had Ironman Arizona happening over the weekend. We had a sub uh, sub eight happening. So we, we did. And last week I was saying, you know, watch out for Brent McMahon. That wasn't like I was amazingly insightful because he's a fantastic seventy point three athlete. But this was his Ironman debut. It's a pretty good debut. It was, and he transferred across very nicely and showed the same sort of form that he did. It's a complete performance, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So he was uh, sitting pretty out of the swim. He swam forty seven twenty five, uh, four twenty one on the bike, and it ran a two. 43 for 755 so he was not first off the bike he had uh, Jordan Rapp up the road and Mike Twelsick but he was only uh, I think it was about four minutes four minutes down coming off the bike so you kind of thought if he does a half decent run uh, he should be able to mow those two down and then Jordan Rapp yeah he was he was hanging tough there for quite a while he was leading for for, for a long part of the race uh, and he rode a 414 said a new bike course record <sighs> and still ran 254 so yeah. it's, it's not like Jordan had an explosion and lost the lead he went 803 I think last year he maybe went about 806 I think so 803 is still a bloody handy performance yeah, 414 that's awesome um, but you had Clement he got just pipped fairly late in the marathon by Clement Alonzo McKernan who also had a fantastic day and went 8 hours and 42 seconds so big step up for him as well which is uh, yeah, he ran 247 as well Mark Twisett came in fourth and you had Tim O'Donnell come in at fifth. Yeah, and he was sort of yo-yoing. I mean, it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Tim O'Donnell. He's sort of, uh, he's had some great races but mm. and he's had some he's had some good Konas but he's, uh, and he was in a, in a fairly good position in Kona this year but then uh, blew out. So it'll be interesting to see where, where, where he sort of heads. So at least he's got some points on the board and all these guys, you know, um, getting points, you know, starting to accumulate points for Kona for next year. So Brent McMahon, I would have thought with that win plus... His 70.3 results will be interesting to see if he's all of a sudden you know, got enough points straight away and, and can spend more or less 12 months training for Kona. So, in regards to and course, him going at Kona? Yeah, uh, I think we've got to be careful when we start judging these guys off their first Ironman mm. win, you know, Simon Lessing, he, his first one, yeah, he boom, boom, he's going to go for Kona and smash it. Bevan Doherty, same sort of thing. So uh, certainly he's got the credentials to be a good top five athlete. Um potentially a winner I guess yeah but what we're seeing the last couple of years it's the guys who are strong all-round strong bikers and then steady runners are doing the job but that might change but yeah he's certainly good enough to be in contention I think uh, mm-hmm. if he can make the transfer across the one thing I would say about him I, he did a quick interview with Mike Riley on the finish line I was watching at that stage and he said he's had you know he was, was down to race in what got cancelled Lake Tahoe and obviously didn't get to race there. And he said he's had all these sorts of ups and downs. He had a virus. And then he said just before the race he got shingles and still went 755. Wow. So... But shingles are a bit of a bad one. Yeah, yeah. So... Wow. Um, Give us side of things? Girl side of things, Meredith Kessler was uh, more or less crushing it all day long. Uh, very impressive to see. It's 11th time racing. Um, this year? 11th time racing Ironman Arizona. Oh, so and she's finally managed to get the win. I don't think she has won there before, but a very much a crushing performance and a crushing time. She swam fifty minutes, rode four forty eight, and then ran a three oh seven for an eight fifty forty one. Wow, that's, that's a nice time. Good day at the office. And Lisa Health Huthaler uh, from Austria. She was pretty strong all day as well. She but her swim let her down. She basically lost 
10 minutes in the swim and she lost the race by 8 minutes so she you know she rode basically the, or more or less the same as uh, Meredith Kessler or lost 2 minutes and then ran 2 minutes quicker on the run for an 8.58.46 so still a smoking fast time but when you're losing 10 minutes in the swim it's tough to make it back when you're up against somebody like Meredith Kessler. So good to see Meredith Kessler back on form because she had a DNF in Kona and you know a lot of people were picking her to potentially, you know, at yeah, least she, be on the podium in Kona. Yeah, she did it in Heather Jackson. On debut, Heather Jackson uh, steadied out the office for a 908. So very good. Um Michael Rayloop managed to take out a second a seventy point three race in two weeks. Yes. Yeah, so in one week. He, in one week. So he raced last weekend and then uh backed it up again. So he took out the seventy point three in Ballarat. So we've got lots going on in Australia. We had Challenge Shepparton on, Belinda Granger doing her last um pro race over there. Oh really? Oh well that's a bit of a sad yeah. day in some ways. Yeah, and well Luxford crushed it. Uh so lots going on in Australia. We had the you know, the week before we had uh, Mandura seventy point three which is where I think Ray Lert won that one. And then you know, a lot of these guys will be building up for Ironman Western Australia in a couple of weeks' time. Mm. Okay, not much happening on the Ironman front of the next few weeks. So we've got uh, Cozumel in Western Australia. When, when are they? Yeah. Cozumel, I think, is on the 30th, I think, maybe. And Western Australia is on the 6th of and December. Then- We've also got Ultraman Hawaii is coming up at the end of the month, and the lava flow had stalled, according to their website, but they have got an alternative course in hand. Yeah, so I was saying on, I think it was last week or the week before, the day two course for the Ultraman is exactly where the lava flow is going, and when it, if, if and when it keeps going, it is going to cross over the road that they use for that. So I was wondering what they're going to do, and apparently they have got an alternate course, so distances will still be the same, but uh, it may be that they'll just tack on and out and back. What would be really like cool that. is if you had to actually go through the lava. We'll do a jump on it. Yeah, jump, yeah. Like or bend. put something in your shoes that make them, you know, you've yeah. only got 10 seconds, otherwise the shoes melt. Yeah. And so you've got 10 seconds to run through the lava. Yeah. A few people might die, but yeah. what a story. Oh, it's going to be, it's, it's a beautiful ride. It's just an amazing ride where you've they done go it, down. You? Yeah. And not so much exactly where the lava is going across that sort of cuts off you go basically go down this road and then you kind of do a a triangle at the bottom of this road that takes you along the coastline it's really quiet and beautiful along there and so it's sort of going to cut you off from being able to do that little uh, triangle down the bottom of it but it is is, is really stunning down there so hopefully it just stops but it doesn't sound it sounds like it's stalled rather than it's stopped it's going to get to the sea at some stage by the sound of it yeah okay challenge family have announced the regional championships and prize money so the american region has a new championship series with today's announcement it's a challenge american challenge championship it's going to be held in knoxville tennessee in may 2016 so the qualifications actually start next year on may the 17th in knoxville uh they haven't actually said how much money is going to be on the line how this championship series it's obviously like like um, the WTC's one. The, the main thing is, is, is they're paying ten deep in all their races uh, across America that they're, they're holding. You know, they've taken over the, the Rev Three races that yep. did have money, but I think that's one of their key things. They're paying ten deep. They're paying at all their their, pri- their their races, and they're going to have a championship race um, uh, for for age groupers and professional athletes. And I just wonder if this is the right part. Do, do people really want championship races? I mean, we want to see our pros racing. Head to head, and we want to have you know big races for the pros where, where they're all rocking up. So it's not just all about Kona, but I just wonder if age groupers want these championship races that probably aren't really going to be championship races. Do you know where there, there, there is some value? I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, what is the championship race? It's really hard when we've got sport where there's no kind of governing body, but social credit 
does count. And mm-hmm. when, when you talk about social credit, like, you know, like I remember years ago when I first started doing triathlon and uh, in, in Christchurch, and I, I didn't know, but everyone was, lots of people were going to the world champs. Mm. And turns out I probably could have qualified myself and got to the world champs quite easily. But I thought, wow, these people were, you know, pretty phenomenal. Mm. And you think, I was doing triathlon, <laughs> I was new to triathlon, I thought that. Now, in their own community outside of triathlon, you know, people think you're, you know, probably a little bit better than you are. Yeah. And you get all the social credit that's actually quite valuable. So if I've raced as, you know, done some challenge races and I get to go to the American Championship, you know, suddenly, socially, there is a value to that that people probably yeah. really like. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And, and actually, I think, because I think a lot of people, one of the reasons they do triathlon is the badge of honour they get mm. to show in society. Oh, absolutely. You know, and so, you know, for these types of races, maybe they do appeal because of that that social credit I get. Yeah, it's just, I guess, maybe the the athletes, the top level athletes, are they really going to care? Well, it'll yeah. just be money, won't it? Yeah. At first. It, like, the legacy of the race isn't going to happen in for a few years unless mm. they do a really great job. But at first, if they put it, like, a, look at Bahrain, they mm. get good money, mm. the top ones will. No, I'm talking the top age groupers. Oh. So, you know, some of, uh, maybe I'm being a bit cynical. It's like, well... Is it really going to be a championship race? Like when I went to Auckland 70.3 and I was leading and ended up, I don't know, fourth or fifth or wherever I placed, having another explosion. Uh, was that really the Asia Pacific Championships? Could I say, oh, I'm, 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 you know, if I'd won that race, I'm the best in Asia Pacific? No, there was, you know, yeah, lots of guys who went there. There was just a, a, a handful of guys there. So it's not I'm, not, I'm not taking a pot shot at challenge whatsoever. It's just all these championship races, the ITU World Long Distance Champs, you know. All the world athletes as well. All world athlete. Um, is it going to add value? Uh, whether or, or, or are they better off to focus their energy on just running awesome races and just going, everybody going, I want to attend a challenge race because they're cool and they look after the athletes? Um, I think is it only, wasted energy? Well, I think the thing is, is, like the only race where it really works is Kona, isn't it? Totally. You know, yep. like if we think about it, Kona is the only race where you go, wow, man, like socially. I finished fifth. I'm fifth best in the world. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Give or take. Yeah, and and also socially outside of it as well. Like, if you know, if, so um, I don't know. I think the only way it'll work is if they make it an amazing race that has history and prestige, mm. you know, because that's what Kona has. And so you know that everyone wants to be there, so you know the field's pretty stellar. Um, whereas like Auckland 70.3 at this stage, it's probably a stronger field than most 70.3s yep. uh, for the age groupers, but, is it, but you're never going to get all the top age groupers mm. at one time in a race. Mm. and so uh. The other thing they're doing to celebrate the launch of their first, uh, the first qualifying race of the Championships Challenge Knoxville 2015 will offer all athletes who register for the, for the race 50% off a second entry for a friend. The special offer is valid until 30th of November and equates two half-distance entries for just 382.50. So that's a nice little tie. And if you're planning on going anyway and you've got a mate that's going, then uh, yeah. get yourself a deal or try to help the event and, uh, and and try to get somebody else to come along with you because uh, entry fees are going through the roof. So if you can get a good deal somewhere, and we know Challenge put on good races, so uh, check it out. Uh, John Bo, we got an email from Damien, $100 Bill Bennett. Okay. And uh, did you end up getting the results? Yeah. You, oh, you got them good. Okay, so he just sent us through an email about Dickerman just saying that's just happened one of the guys from the UK club, the Nuts Food, I'll say. Uh, Tri Club took part. His name is Dave Camp. Clamp, sorry, he uh, took third overall behind two much younger competitors, despite being ill early on in the first couple of days. And you can see his time, which John will talk about in a minute. He warmed up for the Decker doing the uh, male 
70, I'm sorry, 55 to 59. Uh, so he's no spring chicken and qualified Ironman UK. So he did Kona? He did Kona on th- uh, on the Thursday of the race. He had to fit in some personal clients. Oh, okay. So basically this guy, this guy's a rock star. And this is the Decaman that is held in Mexico and it's been going on, you know, it pretty much happens every year. We, we certainly know quite a bit about this. And then... Uh, yeah, but and the way that the way this race is run is it's an Ironman a day. It's a multi lapper. It's a it's a pool swim. I'm I'm 95% sure it's a pool swim, and it's just a, a lap course. So you do an Ironman and you take however long you're going to take. You rest up, boom. You start. You're kicking off the next day. But there's no cut off, is it? It's not like a 17 hour cut off. Because uh, I, I looked no, at the results not. and some it's people a, were. It's a 24 hour cut off. Yeah, I so guess. basically you could just be continuous if, <laughs> if you want to. Worst case scenario. So we, the winner we had was uh, Kamal Suran. And just to give you a rundown of his times, he basically started off with an 11.43, went 11.38, 11.42, 11.13, blew out a bit on day five, 12.56, 12.17, then pulled it back on day seven for 11.14, which was his. Nearly his fastest race of the day. Now, this is going to get more impressive. Yeah, I reckon. Uh, then he went 11.54, 12.19. And, and on last home, day, he cranked it with a 10.45. Which was actually pretty interesting because he won by th- about two and a half hours in the end. So the fact that, you know, like he pulled out that big one, like if he had had a bad day and the guy who got second... It must have been close because he was... Yeah, you're right. He, he won by two hours and 24 minutes... And on the last day, he beat the guy who was in second place. By about an hour and a half. Le- so he was behind going into that last day. No, 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 he was ahead. But but if he'd had a bad day, because he won by two hours, he won. He, he gained about an hour and a half on the last day. But still, he, still, it was close. Yeah, it was close. You know, and, and on the crack. day nine, they did it together. They came yeah. across the line together. So yeah, yeah. So good stuff. Second this place. is crazy. Second, this is crazy. It is, it is mental. It is crazy. Doing an Ironman, you know, you know, doing an Ironman is not an easy day. No. Imagine the next day waking up to again for ten days. It's just, yeah, you would get into a bit of a routine. You'd have, you'd be dealing with all the, you know, the foot issues, blisters, and all that sort of stuff. You would get into a bit of routine, a bit like you do on Epic Camp. This is ten million times harder than Epic Camp. Yeah. But I do think you get into a routine and it's just the running. You know, you could swim bike every day, but mm. to run a marathon every day. The, the the bike, I think, would help your recovery each day. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see the splits. Like, what would they run splits? Obviously, they're not going to do it. Probably about around about four and four and a half, aren't they? Well, let's let's just take a pot shot. At, if you're doing a, a eleven and a half hour Ironman, you're gonna let's say there's swim swim an hour twenty, and that means you've got ten hours to do the rest. You probably do a six hour ride, four hour run, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Yep, ten days in a row. It is <laughs> ten days in a row. Ain't too shabby. What I would say, it's in Mexico as well. It's probably not that cold. Uh, second place, we had Constantinos Zeman. It's a mundaneness. Yeah, and then Dave Clamp was in a third. And he was place. only he was only five hours behind, so he did pretty good. He's like mm. a lot older than those guys. Yeah. It's a nice work. Dicker man. Crazy stuff. Well, I like the one they used to do years ago where it was continuous swim, continuous bike. And mm. it was literally remember they did that? So one we talked about mm-hmm. a long time ago where so for those who didn't listen to that show, so what they did is you basically had to complete the whole distance of each leg before you moved on, but there was no rest. It was just like you go until you've done it. So mm. you could swim, it was what, three, th- 380 Ks, mm. and then you bite, you know, four, what is it, buddy, 180, so 18, 1800 kilometers. Yeah, and then you ran 420. So, and you just you just did it nonstop. Mm. And uh, the crazy thing about it was 
that you swam in a 25 meter pool, the mm. bike was on a 4K course, and mm. the run was on a 2K course. Madness. Yeah, it, literally, I think. So, yeah. So there you go. So you guys, Dave, and you guys are absolutely nutbars, but we love it. Okay, Jombo, um, let me put my show notes here. Okay, next up we had... Um, Hot Topic of the Week. Okay, so I'm going to pull that up right now. So last week we were wondering, you know, for those who have been to Kona or raced Kona this year... What is it that makes Kona so much harder for for people to have that great performance? And we, so we're really asking for the people who did race there. Gary White, he said it's a piece of piss. Yeah, Stuart, nailed it. Yeah, Stuart Martin Lawrence, it's not Wales, so it can't be hard. Have you been there, Stuart Martin Lawrence? Good old poor Doherty. He had a good race. He did. He's coming up on the show in the start of December. We've got oh, you pod, got him on the show. Pod, pod's coming on the show. Oh, Pod, he'll be able to get a bit, of, a bit of a ribbon. Tell us how, it's, how it is done. <laughs> yeah, he agrees with Adam Conquest, which we'll have to talk about later on. But everyone... Uh, slacks more pressure on themselves uh, and pushes the first two hours too hard and then the body retaliates and it's a long way to suffer especially in the digestive system isn't functioning properly someone I know actually had that problem yeah. uh, it appears that there's uh, no longer that need to play it safe or you might blow and not qualify so people do it go all in from the start Ed Hawkins it's not your normal heat as an air temperature that makes it so hard it's the heat that radiates from the ground later in the afternoon when normally the temperature is dropping slightly. There is nowhere to hide from it. It's it's so constant. Also, for the most, it's not the A race of the year. The A race was to qualify, so most, it's a celebration and for enjoyment. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, Richard Hayden-Lewis has got the Kona course is a different part of the world. Uh, would be, oh, would be If it was in different parts of the world, it would be a fast course. It is the conditions that make it a hard race. The heat on the bike makes absorbing nutrition hard while consistently trying to cool yourself. The wind makes ingestion, ingesting nutrition hard as you don't want to take your hands off the bars. Drink systems needed. The wind this year was tough, and I'm glad to say that it's been the toughest for 15 years. I don't know, I'd say 10 years, 2004 was a tough year. Yeah, no, it was nowhere near as bad as what you had it. Yeah. No shit, no. I, I think it was probably the worst ever ever sporting event the year mm. I was there uh, a little support from Hamal 10 to 110 add on this the non-wetsuit swim with the swell of 2,000 other people uh, the run is not flat the roll is on Alehi the crowd support is fantastic leading to Polini but then everyone disappears so pacing is important and hopefully we'll be back with lessons learned and try to race a little harder and conquest <coughs> one aspect which can make it hard is the pressure people put on themselves and the knowledge that everyone is watching their race but once you have clipped your ticket to Kona the pressure is off you can relax and enjoy the race experience and to this extent the race can be easier in that respect unless you like coach John and trying to win your age group yep Lucy Francis got for me it was the combination of the heat of 30 degrees Celsius with strong hot head winds that didn't keep yourself cool on the bike it felt like a hair dryer on my face all the way through that bike course I must add that I've raced Lanzarote uh, twice, Ironman UK four times, Ironman Zurich uh, in 38 degrees Celsius amongst those others. So the Kona experience came as a bit of an unexpected shock. Roger Cantham put up a link yeah, there, read that. Um, from Alan Cousins from Endurance Corner. And Alan you know, is just scientific guy that just bloody analyzes every single thing to the to the nth degree and he he, he his, some of his athletes struggled over there and he was taking all sorts of readings from them in terms of their heart rate variability and and so on he was saying they arrived you know nine days earlier and the the, the stats that he got back from them was really indicating that they still weren't acclimatized nine days later. oh really so um yeah 
he, he, he talks a lot about the travel, the time zones and stuff and how long it takes for your body to adapt. So maybe if, if people are thinking about going, go over a look at this uh, this article here and Alan gives out some, some good tips in terms of you know dealing with the, the travel and the time zones. Okay, uh, Tony Hodges got, I think a lot of it would be the wind and the heat and humidity on the bike leg. People won't have correctly allowed for it and mucked up their nutrition and hydration for the run. That and probably putting too much pressure on themselves to achieve a particular time. Useless fact or useful if you're trying to deny the conditions were any worse this year than usual. In our age group 40 to 49, the average bike split was 42 minutes slower than last year. Okay, it's good uh, BJ Christensen, he's also really saying it's the uh, the emotional atmosphere that you only get in Kona makes it a lot harder. And then Sulikov Arnold, I think that being in Kona, we're putting a lot of pressure, maybe too much pressure on ourselves, um, that it's very much all, an all-out race for the first 1,500 metres of swim not to get smashed and the first 60k of the bike uh, full steam to get rid of the pack. Add a return mostly in headwind and then the run on a lee with many people and often the executioner waiting in Palani before being sent on the boulevard of broken dreams. Oh, nice. <laughs> AKA the Queen K. To me, it's more a mix of the above <laughs> than the heat or the tough course. Gary Figgins got like John Newsom, I suffered in the heat. I believe the stomach is shut down early whilst the body copes with cooling. Therefore, the strategy of front-loading the nutrition needs to be reversed. I've done Wales, Lanza, uh, Embraman and Tahoe and tougher courses, but I've never shut down like that before. I think it's an interesting point because a lot of the time people do get on the bike at their standard Ironman and they do so, just start pumping in that yeah. nutrition and I think that's one of the things that really undid me um, and he's really saying, you know, the reverse supplies, get out there settle into your day without taking the nutrition and then start taking it on board wise man that Gary Fegan we've got to bring in Fegan Facts soon oh Fegan Facts coming in are they yep (laughs) does he want to do the homework on that Uh, because you can't just start it and not deliver yeah Fegan Facts it's got a good ring to it yeah have you got a Fegan Fact for us Um, I'm going to leave them to Gary Okay, uh, Mark Richardson, lastly, he's got nowhere as near as hard as Lake Tahoe. Uh, altitude and low temperature plus climbing makes Tahoe much harder. So oh, there you go. Rubbish, Mark. Rubbish. 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 Have you done Kona, Mark? Yeah. Probably is. Uh, Jombo, your thoughts? Okay, so I think there's, uh, there's a number of things. The whole reason why this topic came up was, you know, after the race in, in Kona, just basically everybody I spoke to had crap races. Yeah. Um, Tony Hodge came in and said she had a great race, but yeah. outside of that... Um, Particularly people trying to go fast. Mm. So I think firstly, the, the the type of athletes racing over there means a lot of them are pushing the red line a lot more than what you would at a standard Ironman. So if you look at, say, an Ironman New Zealand, you know, you're know you going to have X percentage of the field, which is relatively small, that are going for a Kona slot and they're, they're going to be pushing for that versus you're going to have this massive, percent, massive percentage of the field that are going to be on much more conservative race plans, still going trying to go hard, but um, percentage-wise of, say, FTP and, and potential, they're going at, a, going at a lower effort. So I think you know, you're opening up a whole can of worms there in Kona where a lot of people are pushing it and they're, they're not too afraid of blowing up if they blow up, so be it. But I think there's a higher percentage of people that are, that are pushing it at Kona as opposed to elsewhere. I think the timing of the race and the, sea, and, and the season is, is also interesting because it's it's really between seasons almost. You know, It's at the end of the Northern Hemisphere season where things are starting to cool down and it's, it's at the, you know, the middle of, well, it's the end of winter for Southern Hemisphere athletes. So a lot of athletes are coming out of environments where it's nothing like Kona. You know, we're coming out of winter and in Northern Hemisphere athletes, maybe things have started to cool down. So I think maybe that has an impact in terms of 
dealing with the heat. You're not going in there with lots of long rides where you've been battling in the heat and so on. Um, so I think that has has a, an impact. I talked about the the travel and time zones. I don't think that really is an excuse for for Kiwis and Aussies so much because no, you know, our, our time zone yeah. is only one or two hours difference. But for Northern Hemisphere athletes, where they're going through multiple time zones, you know, they often say that. For each time zone you travel across, you need one day to acclimatise. So that can be, oh no, for each hour and ch- change, each hour and time zone change, you need a day to acclimatise. Yep. And as Alan Cousins pointed out, you know, he had athletes, nine days had been there and their stats were telling him that they were not fully acclimatised and it can have quite a significant impact on performance. Um as, as uh, good old Gary Fegan pointed out, I think there's a lot more nutritional challenges in the heat, which um, means a lot more people are going to explode. Um, and then finally, I think the, the, whilst the course over there is challenging, I think it's more the fact it's again that that you, there's, the pace is on is more 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 so in the swim, and I think in that start of the bike ride, it's very very difficult. A, not to get sucked into going too hard, but B, even if you want to go at your own um, pace and your own power, you still it's incredibly frustrating because you just can't do it like that. If I'd wanted to ride at an even power, it just would, it was, imp- was impossible because you've got people passing you all the time, cutting in front of you, you've got to ease off, and so the temptation is, you know, it is a lot more surgy uh, early on in the bike ride, and I think that, if, for, for a lot of people, really explodes their nutrition plans. So well, I think those are those are my five facts. Well, I think the one that's kind of been missed is the pressure of the race. You know, like, yeah, you know, Kona does put make people make unwise decisions because they want to do well there, and so, you know, like, you know, it's, it's the ultimate test really isn't it isn't in our sport and I think there's a few things around the pressure of the race that, that come to play it's first of all that you are racing a much higher field mm. and so you know like for someone like you know uh, anyone who gets to Kona who's qualified are probably pretty stellar in their own region mm-hmm. and when they turn up to race they you know they're normally at the point end of the field and when you turn up to Kona you, you might be middle of the field you know and, mm. and so you're kind of Maybe your, your ego takes a bit of a hit. You make different decisions around that. And then just that kind of pressure of being in Kona and, and wanting to do well, you know, maybe that makes you have unwise decisions. And, and also just that, like when we're in Kona, we talk to a lot of people and they're you know, enjoying the week and the experience, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe that overwhelms you a little bit as well and which, you know, can lead you to make poor decisions. So we had a really good, uh, Matthew Jackman sent through a really good interview or a piece on try xtry.com we haven't had much from them in a while have we yeah xtry.com um, I just chucked this in there because we were going to be talking about Kona and it was, it was written by Chris Half who's uh, you know used to be a, a pro athlete used to be a, I don't know if he went he didn't, I don't know if he went to the Olympics for swimming but he was sort of almost of that standard mm. uh, he may have gone so if he did I apologise for that but he just wrote a big uh, letter he, he was equally frustrated. You know, he's a guy that goes to Kona um, pretty much every year. He is. A, he's a former Olympic swimmer. Um, there you go. And he got incredibly frustrated with the drafting, and he said he's been a year on year, and there's always been bad drafting, and he said this year, you know, it was even worse. And what's frustrating him is they don't seem to be doing anything about it in yeah. terms of uh, – and he came up with a bunch of, you know, suggestions for WTC in terms of making the – Making the the penalties a lot more severe, but I just I just don't think that's going to. The problem is it's unfair because in some situations, how can you not draft? Yeah, my uh, and it came up with a bunch of things that basically WTC don't seem to be 
doing anything about it. Yeah, well, he makes point number one. Over the past decade, a number of participants in Kona has increased, yet the approach to referees and marshals has remained the same. If you add 200 to 300 more participants on the pier and you've decreased the number of pros, that is a comfortable extra 165000 in entry fees that you have just collected. Instead of being greedy and pocketing that money, how about shelling some extra creative dollars to solve this aspect of your sport? Mm. Yeah, like I'm not sure. I wonder, it'd be interesting to see how many more drafting people they have on the course as time, you know, as they've increased these numbers. He also made the point that, you know, that the, the issue that I had, I got busted with drafting, fair enough. Go to the draft. drafting, yeah, of course you are. I am. I do yeah. it every single race. Yeah. It's just first time in 20 years I've been caught. <laughs> um, you pull into the tent and there's two people there with a stopwatch. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah. And so I think most people probably did what I did. You wait there for what you think was about four minutes and then you bugger off. Yeah. Uh, and so that was pretty mickey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, look, I, the only solution I see is they've got to just bloody make some really bold decisions here because this is a, a big thing for me because I'm thinking, I don't Why actually want to go, go, I don't yeah. go back. Because yeah. it's Runs not the a, experience, isn't it? it? It did. I did not enjoy that bike ride at all because the whole way through, you just couldn't couldn't do your race, and I really think the only solution is wave starts. You're still going to have drafting because it's a high end race, but you, I think you're going to have drafting that, if you try, you can probably stay out of it. You know, if you have um, 200 people starting at a time, and uh, in, in, in age waves, then yeah, you're still going to get a bit of drafting, but it's going to suck. It's going to be a shitty start because probably everybody's going to be out because you're not doing double loop, but yeah, you know, like in road, they did the split starts and it, and it was cool in the first lap. Second lap, I was like, oh, we, you know, it was a bit of a pain in the butt. Yeah. Whereas in Kona, you're not doing the, the double lap. So if anything, that's a, 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 a big advantage. And with the exception of the first part of the ride, you've got a massive big highway. There's plenty of passing opportunities because you are going to be passing the slower people in the age groups. And there's, there's obviously downsides to wave starts, um, but... Uh, how long, can this go on, John? How long can this go on? Yeah. I can't take this abuse anymore. Mm. Okay, guys, sponsor. No, what's this week's discussion? You were really oh, excited about this. I think this is actually really good. Who was it? Pete Colson, was it? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, Pete Colson sent it through. And um, he's just basically saying, what have been the scandals in triathlon over the years? That's a good discussion. It is. I don't know how much response we're going to get, but let's put it out there. Oh, I, I was trying to think. I've only got a couple. Nothing, nothing too shocking, but let's put it out well, there. Well, it'll be the so, drugs. Yeah. It'll be the drugs. Yes, good be, point. You know, Dirty Harry. Yeah. Poor Dirty Harry. He, he did one thing in a race once and he's Yeah, there you go. To, yeah. You know, there, there'll be people. Okay, no, there's a, there's a few, so let, let's get them out there. Yeah, there we go. Um, John, do you want to talk about your rent from last week? And I've got that later on. <laughs> I've got so I've got so I've got another gold technique. Did, did you, did, no, but did you see the Facebook post about it? Someone's no. very upset with you. So. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, we'll, we'll <laughs> We're going to get fired I, I, up. I'm gonna, let, let's let that They've got simmer. upset with me. Let's, so. let's let simmer for 20 minutes and I'll come back with uh, some rebuttal and some, yeah. Yep, I think we may lose, lose a listen. That's all I'm going to say. Um, sponsor. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> sponsor. Uh, extreme Endurance. John needs it because he's about to get fired up and the lactic acid's about to build up his well, body. I wonder if I go... OTT and I take like a whole container that will get rid of your injury that will get rid of my injury and I'll be straight into it <laughs> who needs it. physios who needs medical professionals so righty ho guys so if you want to get your extreme endurance uh, definitely if you guys are going now into your off season often you get into the running side of things which is the most destructive of yeah. the three sports on your body <laughs> destructive <laughs> it, is, it just kills you when you get into running and when you uh, it is funny eh? like I've, I've, I've you know I've been talking lately about how I'm just getting back into running 
and I've been pretty consistent, but last week I was just busy with other things, so I only I managed one run on Friday, and just having like five days off, and sat there, my calves were like, what are you doing to me? Mm. And, I was like, and I didn't run hard. And, and so I really go back to when I was did my last, uh, that's my plan next, but lots of people are asking about Project 2015, and the plan is, uh, if I can get over this bloody injury, is to run some fast marathons. And I remember the last time I did this, first one, was not on the extreme endurance, did the Christchurch Marathon, and ended up having a pretty poor day it was bloody freezing and what have you but uh and it didn't even run that hard because i was just exploded my legs were just absolutely ruined when i'd finished that race went up and did uh, auckland marathon had a great race ran 238 was on the extreme endurance so i had a great performance helped me through that and then uh two or three days later i was running the kids to school so on your shoulders on my shoulders <laughs> so really can make, can make a massive difference for your training for your recovery and just means that you can just build it up and, and really crank into your running and stay on top of it and just have less muscle soreness so check it out use the promo code IMTALK5 if you're going through the .com site it's uh, $44.95 for a pack which will last you for a month and uh, just look forward to having less sore muscles yeah and remember also team if you've got less muscle soreness you can push harder and, and train better the next day so it's a big big Big, big advantage. Uh, extremeendurance.com. Okay, guys. Geek, geek, geek out corner. Uh, John asked Thorson, and actually, this is a really good point. I hadn't thought about this, but this year is the first year that your mid-season, you know, theory theory has been kind of proven wrong. Yeah. So except, went, for, except for the odd freak, um, like oh, yeah, Wellington. yeah, yeah. But in general, like this year, both of the people who won in Germany mid-season won on went on to win Kona. Yeah. So uh, you asked Thorsten about mid-season races and who have, who have done either the Rote Frankfurt conversion to win, go and then win Kona, and he came back with the facts. Yeah. So um, Keenlay and McCaffrey. So Keenlay won Frankfurt Kona. McCaffrey won Rote and Kona. And, and and my question was really around. The, either being at uh, winning Rote or Frankfurt because they are the two biggest races so Freddie Van Leer the year before he won um, Ironman France in convincing fashion and then went on to win Kona at France he didn't have that stellar field to deal with so he, yeah. he was in control and, and probably didn't have to, to go to the you know the, the, the real red line the only other people that have done this which have won either Rote and Frankfurt and gone on to win Kona is Chrissy Wellington so she doesn't count yeah. she, <laughs> she doesn't count because she is undefeated <laughs> and she, what was her world record in Rote it was something stupid Stupid. Uh, was it eight? It was eight eighteen, or is it something stupid? It's yeah, it's just crazy. It was just unbelievable. Yeah, and the only other people that and that was the year she had a rough day in Kona as well, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so the only other people that had done it, Chris McCormick did the Rote Kona double in two thousand and seven, and Paul Newby Fraser did Rote and Kona in ninety four and ninety two. So that was kind of before. so really, you kind of have to say because Chrissy and Paula without being disrespectful, but they're just so great that, yeah. you know, that they could pull that off. You have to say, Mecca, mm. you know, pretty phenomenal that he did it really, mm. you know. And, and back then, I, I would say back then, Rote had a maybe a stronger field in yeah. 2007. You know, you had, uh, you always had there, guys yeah. like Lothar Leader. Because we did 2008 and I did, th- yeah, ah. yeah, I did that year as well. Nice. Yeah. So nice work, Mecca. So that was just a little question. Now we are going to have uh, Torsten on the show oh, stuff. in a couple of weeks' time because I'm really intrigued to see what the impact is going to be of some subtle changes they've made with the... KPR, the, the, the qualifying yep. procedure for Kona. But Torsten does have with tryrating.com, his KPR observer is now available. So you can go to tryrating.com and find out all the details from that. Uh, it's 20, 29 bucks. I think if you use the promo code IAMTALK5, you get $5 off. 
And it's just a great document. If you want to try to understand how the qualifying all works, this just goes through it in a really logical way. If you try to figure it out from going on to ironman.com, you'll probably get all confused and and what have you. But this really just goes through everything in real detail. Um, It tells you how everybody qualifies, what's happened in the past, his predictions on how many points people are going to to, to need and most importantly this update the observer comes out on a regular um, basis through the year and can tell you who is uh, who is automatic qualifiers who based on Torsten's predictions are safe but whether they're validated or not who's getting really close and uh, who is sort of really you know, still out of the picture, which becomes quite interesting as you get towards the tail end of the, the sort of build up for Kona. So at this stage, um, you know, he's already got a few people that are safe but have to validate. You know, people like Daniela Reeve, Jody Swallow, Caroline Stephan, Mary Beth Ellis. Yep. You know, if you do well in Kona, you are going to be yeah, very, fine. very close yeah. to, to qualifying. Um, and then on the guys' side of things, it's interesting, you know, someone like a, a Tim Don has basically already qualified, Ben Hoffman and Lionel Sanders. They have uh, already done their Ironmans, they've done and dusted, they've got 12 months to get ready for yeah. next year. And then guys who also did well in Kona, they're basically safe, but they need to go and do do a race elsewhere. So What is Bubble? Uh, that means the bubble, you're sort of right on the verge so edge of qualifying. So he's got yeah. a guy called Daniel Brecher who's got 3,600 points, and I think he was predicting maybe... I think it was th- last year 3,500 maybe got you in, but I think this year he's predicting 3,800 uh, to, to get you in. So we have Torsten come in in a couple of weeks' time to talk about all this stuff. But I th- will say that um, the changes I've made from for this year, I'll just quickly run through these. The number of Ironmans that count for the total has been reduced from five to three. Okay. Now that's going to impact people like, say, Pete Vabrusik, who yep. used to, to crank, crank them out. And I'm going to be interested to see what has an impact on the females because traditionally they had to race more Ironmans to, to qualify. Yep. So I think that'll be a really positive move and I think it's, it's a good move. Uh, they've also got some, the, the, some additional automatic qualifiers from the five regional championships. So if you win Melbourne, boom, you're in. Yep. And so I guess that'll just create a few more um, spots might open up there. Although there won't be any automatic qualifiers from the 70.3 champs in Hy-Vee? Yeah, which is... I don't know, a little bit disappointing. I'd love to see Gomez go and win high V and then just go and to- toodle around a, uh, an Ironman and maybe crank it in there. But anyway, Although, I've, I've removed those when, ones. When, when Gomez does come over, I don't think he's going to struggle to qualify. No, so, I agree. Yeah. Now this is a very interesting point that is so ambiguous, you could take it any different way. Kona champions have to validate, validate by competing and racing competitively. Oh, one Ironman. How do you determine that? As determined by Ironman in wow. Ironman's sole discretion. Wow. That's, that's obviously the Pete Jacobs rule we're going to call uh, that. Yeah. And the Marinda Carfrey rule where she had a pack of chips yeah. on the run. How the hell do you prove if someone's been competitive? Wow. That's fascinating. That is, I think that rule is not going to be enforced. The only reason it's in there is to give people the shits that they think they might think I'm not being competitive. But they will never enforce it. Well, it's be, be a PR mistake. Yeah. Well, no, you could you could look at Marindy's performance last year and say, well, she walked and she was eating chips on the, you know, I don't know if she walked, but you know, like she was taking yeah. it easy. They might, they might, they might say your normal, your average performance is nine hours, and if you're without with, you know, twenty percent no, of that, you're not competitive. Well, that that would be a much better way of doing it. Say, if you're not within twenty percent of the the winner, then that doesn't count. But this is, they just say, ah, oh, you're not competitive. Mm. 
I don't know, if I was a pro and, and if, if I was looking at that rule and if I was looking at just purely ticking the box, go to race, I'd spank the swim, I'd spank the first 40k of the bike and then pretend you blow up and then just go through, oh, well, I'd blow up. Yeah. I was trying to be competitive, but I'd blow up, had yeah. a bad day. It was like the time when we, when we were in Kona and Mecca, no, wrote. Remember when we were talking about was it? Well, he did wrote in Frankfurt yeah. in a week one time. Yeah, and uh, he really, I don't think he was that keen on racing wrote and suddenly bike failure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just saying, it could be wrong, but uh, that might have been a little bit of a strategy. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. Like, it's just a bizarre rule to add in. Well, it's because they've got this rule of validating. They've got, they've created their own problem, haven't they? Mm. And so they're trying to figure a way around it. But uh, uh, let's say they do. Let's say, let's say Pete Jacobs' performance this year and they say, no, nah, not good enough. <laughs> yeah. That's not a good move. No, that is not a good move. And surely this couldn't stand up in court if you if you wanted to go down that path. Well, yeah, but no one's going to take them to court. Well, they, some there's people they got su- big lawyers. There's, there's people suing um, USA Triathlon at the moment. Oh, really? Mm. Why? I don't actually know that. But go to Slow Twitch if you want to read about that. Mm. And lastly, uh, finally, some North American races oh, yeah. will lose their pro status. So Boulder, Louisville, Wisconsin, Maryland. Lake Tahoe, Florida, Muskoka, Los Cabos, and Lake Placid. John, if you re- this would be your Project 2015, go to one of these races, win it. Yes. And then you can say you're an Ironman winner. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> one thing that I would say is when I looked at Torsten's uh, KPR Observer, on the face of it, it certainly seems like... There's more money. There's more money out there. Now, some, some of these... And the, when I look at the North American races, you know, there's, that's where they're pulling out the pro fields and there's not going to be any points at those races but you know there's a lot more races have got a hundred to hundred and fifty thousand dollars in america now and so i think their objective of trying to get the stronger fields at lesser races is going to work i'll be interested to see if the total prize pool has actually increased or not so if there is more money out there for the pro athletes but i think it's i like the strategy of you know rather than having it hundreds and hundreds of races where you get two pros at each one uh, two serious pros let's try to pull it together make sure there's more money at these races and get some slightly more competitive races so it looks on the face of it without doing the statistical analysis that there is more races so Montreal Blanc's got 100 grand Whistler's got 100 grand Coeur has got 100 grand um, and they're all up from either so a lot of them were previously only 50 yep. or possibly 75 so um, yeah I'll be interested to see what the total prize pool is and, and whether there's more out there for the pros to be making because that's what we want at the end of the day. Okay, good times. Okay, guys. So, so we're check gonna... it out, tryrating.com if you want to get hold of the the KPR Observer. And I'll put a link to it on www.imtalk.me. Okay, guys, so we've got an interview coming up with Phoebe Sanders and uh, partner of Tim Hemming and uh, also a bit of a bit of an all-round champion, really, John, isn't she? She is, Brainiac, does a bit of triathlon herself. Yeah. And yeah, just here we go. Nice girl. Here we go, so we're going to put that on right now. John. Yes. Do you know what's really interesting is that we have a contributor to the show who's 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 contributed a lot to the show over the years and, and probably loved to come on the show one day, wouldn't he? Yeah. And uh, but he's not on the show. His partner is. I she's know. beaten him to it. I know. She's experimental, uh, studied experimental psychology at the University of Oxford. If you go there, well, uh, you're smart. You're smarty pants. I didn't even get through high school. <laughs> and uh, she's currently doing a master's in sports psychology and maybe going off to do a PhD. Her name's. Phoebe Sanders, welcome along to the show, Phoebe. Hi. Right. So and, and Tim Hemming. Tim Hemming is yeah. the, yeah, not, not Tim Henning. Henman. Henman. Is, Henman. It, is yeah. he still famous in the UK, Tim Henman? He'd be like a commentator, wouldn't he? Henman. 
Yeah, the tennis yeah, player. Yeah, he, he does more commentary and stuff now, though. I think he did an exhibition match last night, though, so they still they still bring him out sometimes. <laughs> they wheel him out. And, uh, so what, it's not what, quite that bad. <laughs> uh, well, somebody's got Andy Murray's on the slide, so somebody's got to pick up pick up the slack. Oh, I, don't um, think, I don't think Hemmings going to do it. <laughs> anyway. But, I, think, I think he had his time. <laughs> but on the triathlon side of things. Um, yeah, Phoebe, we, we're going to talk a bit to you about... Um, you know, you've done some research into the guys sort of making the transition from, from age group into pro, and often we yeah. sit here and wonder how the hell they do it, and you've actually looked into it. So it's, it's, yeah. I think it's, gonna, it's, it's an interesting topic because we're, I was interested to hear from a number of the guys we spoke to in Kona who these guys were more the top 70.3 athletes, and they were making more money than I had anticipated in terms of their endorsements and what have you. But yeah, okay. I, I often sit here scratching my head wondering about the guys who are finishing sort of fifth through tenth at 70.3 races and yet they're still full-time athletes and you know they might be picking up a $500 check here and there um so yeah I guess the, the first question I've got for you is you know um maybe give us a bit of an intro into the study that you did and and what was the motivation to do it sure um well, I mean, the study, it didn't set out to be just about triathlon specifically. Um, I was actually looking at athletic career transitions in the slightly broader sense. So that's kind of, you know, the changes as you go through your career as an athlete. So things like, you know, going from, I guess, being a kid, being a junior to being a senior or going from amateur to professional right the way through to retiring. Um, and there's been actually quite a lot of research done on people who turn professional when they're, you know, sort of 18, 19. So cause I guess in most sports, that probably is when you're going to go pro. Mm-hmm. So if you think about if you're a swimmer or something, you know, you start off when you're really, really young, you turn professional, what sort of mid-adolescence maybe, and then, you know, at the age of 25, you're retiring. Um, so that's really what most people have looked at. No one's really paid much attention to people who are doing it a bit later on. And I guess in triathlon, that's something that we see a lot more. You know, people who are going professional, you know, sort of age 25 plus, when in most other sports, people are actually stopping mm-hmm. by then. You know, they kind of feel like they're past their peak. They want to stop. Whereas in triathlon, you know, I, well, I guess I'm sure you guys know the average age at Kona is actually going up. Mm. And I think it's reached, you know, it's somewhere around like 35 or something now. Mm. So we're seeing a lot more people who are kind of coming through a bit later on. So what I really wanted to look at was, you know, what's the experience that these people are having and kind of what are the challenges that they're facing? Because I thought, you know, it's probably going to be a bit different to the problems that you're coming across when you're a teenager. You know, when you're still probably living at home, you've got your parents looking after you. You know, I was interested in talking to the people who, you know, maybe they already are parents, like, you know, maybe they've got a house, they're paying a mortgage, um, you know, kind of how are they dealing with it and what are they coming across? Mm. I mean, really just triathlon obviously fitted really nicely um, into that kind of demographic. So also, you know, being um, a multidiscipline sport, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on people in terms of excelling in three different sports, essentially. So I kind of thought, you know, might get a bit of a deeper insight through talking to people who have really got... Well, a hell of a challenge on their plate, really. Mm. Oh, I think it's just going to be really interesting to see how this all um, develops because, as you said, <clears throat> the age in Kona is getting older, but the age yeah. at ITU level is getting younger. Mm. So there's going to be this yeah. interesting sort of middle ground of guys coming out of ITU and either giving up at, at a fairly young age or uh, or going long. So, yeah, what were you going to say, Ben? Yes. Oh, no, I just suppose, you know, we're going to talk about the study in a second, but going into it, did you have some preconceived kind of ideas of what you thought you'd come up with? I tried not to, um, because obviously doing research, you know, well, this kind of research, you sort of want to go in with 
as much of an open mind as you can. Mm. But yes, you know, of course, I had I had a pretty good idea that probably you know the financial side of it might come up. Yep. Um, I thought that could potentially be a challenge because you know triathlon's not exactly known as you know the sport for the big bucks. Um, and I suppose I thought that potentially there'd be some issues around you know people's families. You know, people tra- travel quite a lot for triathlon. The training's quite long; it takes up a lot of time. So I thought there might be some things in that area. Um, and I, th- I mean, I thought actually that I would find a lot more in terms of the actual demands of the sport on people's bodies. I thought there'd be a lot more about you know the actual how difficult the training is and kind of the injuries and that side, which you know I'm sure we'll get into it. But actually, I didn't find that much on that side, and that was a bit of a surprise. Hmm. So, so the financials, obviously, um, yeah, that's what makes life tick along, make sure you can cover the bills. Yes. Um, did you d- did that pretty much fit in line with your expectations and are they making bugger all? <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose in some ways it was in line with my expectations, but actually it was so, it seemed to be so much tougher than I'd anticipated. Like I thought it would be difficult, but I really didn't anticipate just how difficult it was going to be for these guys and I mean you know different people had different experiences of it of course you know people who were picked up instantly as part of a team I think had a bit of a different experience um people who kept another job alongside triathlon I mean that was often described as the easy option which really surprised me I thought everyone would be saying oh you know it's so much easier when you're full-time but actually the demands of trying to, you know, finance themselves and often, you know, pay mortgages and things were actually so tough that lots of people said, you know what, it is easier to train for triathlon alongside a full-time job than it is actually to try and do just triathlon by itself. And that was a real surprise for me. Mm. Did, did, the, did many of them have a plan? You know, they go into this and go, right, I've got to make uh, X dollars per year and this is how I'm going to think I'm going to do it. Yes, people did go in with a plan. Often that plan wasn't actually very accurate, though, as it turned out. You know, a few people said that actually looking back, you know, when they're a few years into it, if they knew what they knew now, they weren't actually sure if they would do it again. Because a lot of think thought that they were going to make a lot more money a lot quicker than they actually did. Um, a few people said that, you know, if you look at social media and things, obviously people are trying, they're sort of putting their best face on. You know, there's, no one's going to be going out on social media going, oh, I, you know, I'm feeling a bit poor at the moment. My results are really rubbish. I'm having a really terrible time. That's yeah. just not really what we do. Yeah. So often if you look at a lot of athletes, you know, if you look at Facebook, if you look at Twitter, you're seeing all the good stuff. Yep. Um, and a few people said that actually they had a bit of a kind of misconception around actually, well, how much cash was out there how easy it was going to be to find sponsors and also how fast their improvement, like their performance was going to pick up. And a lot of people found that they didn't see the performance improvements they were hoping for. So they weren't getting the results they wanted, certainly not as quickly as they wanted. Um, and so actually they just weren't making the money. Did you get a sense that they maybe you know, regretted their choices? No, I wouldn't say that anyone regretted it. And actually at the end of all the interviews, you know, having spoken to these people for hours sometimes about how difficult it would be it had been I'd say to them was it successful and they'd say oh yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. so I, th- I mean I think maybe it was a bit of um, a symptom of the people I spoke to and that they had all reached a point where they were quite happy with what they'd what they'd achieved so I think none of them regretted it in that sense yeah. but I definitely got an idea that some people had had a really really tough time of it mm-hmm. 
So you, you alluded slightly there to performance, and I think that's an interesting point because uh, often we think, you know, you go from maybe training, you know, as you said, uh, pretty hard out and you have a job and then you think, right, I'm going to go full-time and they're going to see this massive performance game, but that didn't necessarily yeah. uh, hold true. No, not at all. I mean, you know, that, that was the exception, don't get me wrong, you know, everyone had quite a different experience, but the general consensus seemed to be that, you know, you can give up your job, you can go full time. But actually, the people who are doing that, they're already pretty good. Mm. You know, you're not going to give up your job and move into this world where, you know, it is tough, unless you've got, a, you know, unless you're doing pretty well already. Um, so a lot of these people actually found that, yes, you know, yes, they improved, they did, but it wasn't as significant as perhaps they thought. Um, so a lot of people were, you know, saying if they were to advise them, you know, if advise other people who are in that position, think about going pro, to actually be realistic about what you think you can achieve, you know, don't look at the guys who are right at the top who've been doing it for 10 years and think that you're going to go full time and suddenly be at that level too because it's just not going to happen. Mm. What about regards, you know, you, uh, you, you, through the notes we've got here, you're saying that they all talked about nowadays the importance of social media in building a profile around sponsorship? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for a few people, they said they really had to learn to do that. It was something that really didn't come naturally for them. Um, I think it was one person was saying, you know, he kept going to races and he would beat other people and he'd think, you know, why are these people, why have they got all these sponsors and no one's talking to me? Mm. And he said it took him a while to twig that actually these guys were pumping things out on Twitter, on Facebook, you know, they were everywhere. Mm. And, and, you know, they were saying it's not enough to do really well. You can't just turn up at the race, you know, win and go home. Mm. That's not that's not all the sponsors are looking for. You know, they want someone who can really add some value to them, you know, be that through sort of talking to people at races, you know, doing the media around it and, you know, endorsing their products, being an ambassador. It's not actually just about how good you are. And several people said that, you know, you are never going to get sponsors knocking on your door. You know, they said that even even when you're getting the results, you still have to go out looking for it nine times out of ten. Mm. Did you get a sense that, like, obviously they just had, didn't understand the kind of the business side of running their, their business, I suppose, or their own brand? Do you, was that a sense that... Um, that it was easy to achieve the growth and, and understanding to create that? Um, yeah, I mean, they definitely said that a lot of people had to really learn that side of it. You know, I think one person said, I'm a much better athlete than I am a business person. Um, and I think that was another surprise to me is actually was kind of how tough the business side is and how much you really do need to have your head around it. You know, and not just in terms of actually building a brand, but also, you know, the kind of nitty-gritty admin side of it. So, you know, if you're winning prize money abroad... And then you're essentially coming home, you know, where are you paying tax? You know, sometimes you're paying tax twice and you need to then know how to reclaim that from, you know, the country that you want it in. So, you know, there's all sorts of kind of funny financial parts. And you know, a few people said they've made a right or mess of their accounting just because they didn't really know what they were doing. You know, particularly if you've gone from, certainly in the UK, a system where, you know, your tax can just be automatically deducted before you even receive the money through the payroll. Mm. And suddenly these people are out by themselves, and you're essentially acting as entrepreneurs in some ways. And that brings with it a whole load of kind of responsibilities. And yet, as you say, kind of building a brand, which a lot of people just haven't got the experience of. Mm. It's what, I, I remember somebody pointing out, I think it might have been Victoria from Challenge, about the prize money in Bahrain. And I think they, yes. they either have no tax or next to nothing and then you compare that to America where you see this money that they're offering in Kona and on the face of it it might be more but then boom you slice 20% straight off that yeah. as soon as it comes through so yeah, uh, yeah and little interesting things like that but um, uh, yeah, in terms of um, guys that 
managed to get into teams really easy. That obviously seemed like it was a, a, an easier transition for them. Um, yes, I think in some ways, certainly in terms of the logistics, it seems to be really, really beneficial. I mean, I spoke... I mean, there seems to be different sides of it, though. You know, I spoke to a couple of people who got picked up really quite quickly and sort of without hunting for it. Um, And then I spoke to some other people who had had to really, really fight to get into a team. And it does seem to take a lot of the pressure off. You know, partly, I suppose, some teams pay a salary. So obviously, you know, that's a massive difference because you haven't got that pressure anymore of having to be at certain races, having to win the money because you've already got some coming in mm-hmm. and it just takes away some of the stress. And, you know, a lot of people are actually getting really exhausted from having to kind of trail around doing all these races, just try, try to make some money back. Mm-hmm. So from the you know, financial point of view, it obviously makes a big difference. But then also um, in terms of the kind of equipment provision, so, you know, a lot of people getting kind of, you know, you know whether it's kind of mechanical support for your bike or whether it's, you know, kind of, gear through sponsors I think that could be really helpful and also just in helping them build a support network because you know triathlon is obviously largely an individual sport you know you don't get a whole lot of help there's Mm. certainly not a lot of institutional support and you know largely people you know a lot of people just aren't making the money to employ managers or any kind of help of that sort so I think getting part of a team could be really helpful from that point of view as well you know like um for a lot of athletes you know let's say I've gone from an everyday job and, uh, you know, it, it kind of creates a, a bit of an isolated world anyway in bloody Ironman. But, uh, you know, if you quit your job and you, you kind of remove a lot of social, did you kind of deal with that stuff? Yeah, quite a few people said they did feel really isolated for a while and, you know, said they didn't really realise how important that social contact was for them until it was taken away mm. um, and they suddenly weren't getting that. But also a lot of people got really, really bored Oh. So they're saying you know, initially they thought, oh, brilliant, you know, I'm going to be training full time. It's going to be amazing. You know, I'm going to really enjoy it. And they said that actually suddenly when you've got all the time in the world to do that training, suddenly it becomes actually that much harder to make yourself do it. Mm. I mean, there's an old saying in the UK, I don't know if you have it over there, you know, if you want something done, ask a busy person. Yeah. It's like, you know, the more you're doing, the more you can do because you're kind of, you know, you're on a roll. So you kind of keep just, you can pick up more tasks along the way. And a couple of people said that actually when they would get up in the morning, they had all day to train, you know, rather than having to try and cram it in. Actually, they found it that much harder and had to kind of find ways to compartmentalize their day. So, you know, either by rearranging childcare or, you know, doing some like doing some kind of race reports or, you know, doing something like that just to actually give themselves the structure that they'd had previously. Mm-hmm. And in regards to the relationships around them, was there a fix, like negative effects? <laughs> Um, negative and positive. I mean, a lot of people talked a lot about how many friends they've made through the sport. And, you know, triathlon, whilst it isn't an individual sport, a lot of people said it was really, really friendly and that, you know, actually some of their best friends and in some cases sort of relationships, um, romantic relationships that actually come out of triathlon. So from that sense, it was great. Um, but obviously, you know, the time commitment and, you know, for lots of people, the travel did mean that they sort of had to sacrifice a few relationships along the way. You know, often that was friendships, just people they kind of couldn't really stay in touch with and people who didn't really understand what they were doing. But also um, romantic relationships, you know, quite a lot of people have broken up with partners, um, often because of the time demands. And a lot of people said, you know, it's quite a selfish sport in lots of ways. Mm. And they people who have partners who sort of couldn't really get their head around it and understandably, you know, wanted them to be around a bit more. Um, you know, you'd go out a bit more, you know, get drunk occasionally, which, you know, not many of these people were really doing a whole lot of. <laughs> so I think, you know, there's a bit of a, there are kind of two sides to that, I think. 
And what was people's the, the athletes' motivation? You know, to get into this, do they do they all want to be world champions? They look up at um, you know Sebastian Keenley and and what have you, and say, right, that's that's where I want to be. Or uh, what what was this? What was their motivation to to be a pro athlete? Um, it was all about exploring their potential, really, and just seeing just how good they could be. I think not a single person said, you know, I turned pro with the aim of you know being world champion or, you know, emulating so-and-so. And actually, a lot of these people, when they went into the sport, didn't really know a whole lot about it. You know, some people had come from completely different sports. So, you know, and just maybe kind of turned up a, a couple of races, did really surprisingly well, kind of shocked themselves as an age grouper and thought, mm. oh, you know, suddenly it opened a door and they thought, oh, I hadn't really considered this. You know, actually, that could be interesting. Maybe it's something, you know, maybe I'll have a crack at it. And a lot of people, they were at a point where they weren't that happy with what they were doing already. You know, so a few people said they were just a bit bored in their job or they were facing kind of decision about which way they were going to take their career. And then suddenly, you know, the option of being a pro triathlete opened up for them. And they thought, oh, OK, you know, I'll have a go at that. Mm-hmm. But not a single person had a, a single performance goal. It was all about, you know, I just kind of wanted to see how well I could do. I wanted to challenge myself. I think that's a big difference between the champion athletes and the, and the third tier athletes. You know, the champion athletes that I've known that have made it to the top, they are just, mm-hmm. they uh, I'm going to be the best. <laughs> Whether they say it or not, you know that that's what they think. They think, right, I'm better than that person. I'm better than that. I, that guy's winning. I'm going to win. Although I think there's probably a difference here because if you're, like, if we look at the champions, they've probably had a history of being really great. Mm. And so they're going into it knowing their potential was pretty high. Whereas these guys, as they're stepping in, they've probably developed themselves to this point, if you know what I mean. Mm. And so then it is more of an exploration than, you know, confidence based on experience, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you made a good point there, though, in that you said, you know, they might not say it, but this is what they're thinking. And I mean, that is one caveat over all this is that I can only go on what these people told me. Mm. So, you know, I guess there's going to be a bit of a kind of self-presentation bias, I guess, in mm. that no one wants to come across as an absolutely hideous person. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, no one's going to sort of say to me oh you know actually i just wanted to i you know, just wanted to deliver a smackdown because i thought all the all the current pros were a bit rubbish <laughs> <laughs> you know you've got to take some of it with a pinch of salt i think um i guess uh, again if we're talking about the type of athletes that we are and the, the, the developing athletes come through maybe don't have a history in the sport you know often these guys are weaker swimmers Is, um you had a point there that uh, some of them struggle to make that transition, particularly in swimming, to actually get it get it to a high enough professional level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that the swim seemed to be the bit that people struggled with coming at it a bit later on. And I think, like you mentioned, quite a lot of these people did have quite a strong sporting background. You know, not in triathlon per se, but you know, maybe they had been swimmers, or they had been. You know, a lot of people had been cyclists previously. Um, but there, yeah, there were sort of split opinions as to whether you can actually become a real expert swimmer if you're picking it up a bit later on. I mean, you know, we're not talking people who are actually, you know, putting on armbands, to, yeah. you know, to become yeah. a pro. You know, these are people they could swim. But, you know, some people did say that actually they thought they were never going to really be in the front pack mm. you know, just because they hadn't done enough of it when they were younger. But, you know, on the flip side, some people saying, actually, you know, I really firmly believe that if I keep working at it, if I really study it, then one day I will get there. But you know, it's I suppose it's yeah, pers- personal opinion, I guess, on that one. So, so I guess, um, what advice at the, at the end of all this? Um, what advice 
did athletes give for you know people who are in a position that want to make the transfer in terms of what they actually said to you and maybe what are your um, evaluations of uh, what advice you'd give to want to be pros? Um, I think there are a few things. I think the really big one was to take a long term view. You know, in terms of performance and you know the lifestyle, the money, you know everything takes time. And I definitely got the sense that if you try and rush into it, that things quite quickly unravel. Mm. You know, so make sure that you've got you've got the money to sort of support, or at least the means to support yourself for longer than you think you might have to, because a lot of the time it's going to take longer. I think than a lot of athletes realize to to get the sponsorship backing to get the performance um and also yeah just in terms of kind of building performance and i guess reaching you know the top of the sport if that's what people are trying to do you know it takes years you know this isn't going to be sort of one year of full-time training you're going to be up there you know it's going to really take a while and i think that's the thing that these athletes are really stressing is that you know, I mean, I spoke to some people who'd retired and they were saying, you know, their whole career was one big learning process. Mm-hmm. You know, every day you're learning something new. And I think that was a really important thing to remember is that, you know, just, it's just to really have the patience, um, but also just to yeah make sure that, you know, you've actually got the support structure, you've got the finances um, to actually support yourself through that process. Any other kind of insights that you maybe haven't kind of mentioned through your notes through us? Any kind of things that... You know, maybe you thought we were kind when of When are you turning pro? Yeah. Me? <laughs> no, I think anyone who's seen me try to do some triathlon before you know that that's, that's a way off. <laughs> you know what? I don't, think, I don't think I'm actually resilient enough to do it. I mean, that was one thing that I haven't really mentioned is that, you know, these people were tough. Yeah. You know, they, they were, they'd face, you know, a lot of setbacks. And actually, they were all really, really optimistic people, really resilient people. And actually, they could keep going. They were all, you know, it was like, oh, this tough thing happened, but I bounced back. Um, You know, they're saying, you know, you're always going to have the ups and downs. And, you know, from a personal point of view, I don't think I could stick through that. I don't think I would have the faith and the belief to do it. And these people all had that in bucket loads. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the really important thing. You know, you can have all the, you know, all the kind of, the run speed, the swim speed in the world, but actually if you haven't got the kind of mental strength to do it, then, you know, you're not going to make it, essentially. Yeah. So what's your, your PhD if you go down that path? Is it going to be staying in this uh, same sort of realm of research? Um, I hope so. I mean, I think I definitely would like to keep looking at transitions because I think that's, I think that's where the really interesting stuff happens. You know, it's one thing to look at an athlete who's kind of trundling along, you know, doing their thing, have been for a while now. I think I'm much more interested in people who were sort of trying to break into it at that kind of stage. Um, but with, because I've got a background in human resources, so the more kind of organizational side. So I'm quite interested um, in looking more at people's transitions you know, in and out of sports organizations and clubs and kind of trying to weave some of that side into it. Can I ask, just for those who are interested in sports psychology, what are some kind of good kind of maybe, you know, obviously you're pretty high level, but good books that they could read that you recommend, uh, you know, that gives them some good tools around this stuff? Um, You know what, I don't know if I would necessarily go for books as such because, I mean, psychology, it moves so quickly. In certain sports psychology, it's kind of a really, really, I mean, it's exploding now. You know, you only kind of have to start looking at the news and some sports sports and you keep seeing these articles now popping up saying, you know, so-and-so's been talking to their sports psychologist, they turned it around. Yeah. So, I mean, 
I think, you know, it's going to sound really silly, but probably just get on Google. Yeah. Way and just you know, start kind of looking around and seeing what's out there. Because also, you know, there are so many different approaches to it. So I think it's difficult to sort of recommend one book because, you know, what really would speak to me as a psychologist might be completely different for someone else. Yeah. So I think that's one way to start doing it is you know, just to start kind of actually go, you know, sort of get on the, so start researching it and seeing, you know, even if it's like your favorite sports team or something, start looking at what they're doing. So, you know, actually the All Blacks, you know, put out quite a lot of stuff around the sports psychology side of things, you know, because they've actually really focused on it. Um, mm. They're often used for case studies, obviously, because they've done so well. You know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, how have they done it? Kind of what, what's been the way they've approached it? You know what? So I think you've got Gilbert Anoka, the Oblix sports psychologist, on my podcast in the next month. So I'll, I'll maybe put it on here. Yeah, so. I mean, that's, that's quite interesting. And often Twitter, you know, a lot of people are actually starting to tweet about it now, and you can start to kind of pick up some interesting bits from there. So I'd say, you know, it's less about kind of reading books and more about just being a bit inquisitive about what's going on. And certainly, you know, from a personal perspective, I find the really applied stuff a lot more exciting than kind of delving around in the theory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, it's, awesome. uh, I think it's, yeah, it's an interesting part of the sport. And make sure that uh, you rub it in to Tim that you got on the show before he did. He gets lots of mentions, but you yeah. actually got your voice on the show. <laughs> yeah. So make sure you, you yeah. do rub just it Just let him know. Just, give, you know, just dig it in a little bit. You know? Just let him know. Well, we're, I'm actually flying to, flying to St. Lucia for a triathlon um, tomorrow morning. So I've got a nine-hour flight to... You can, get, you can get him to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> See if they put it on the loudspeaker all the way through the plane. Yeah, he'll, he'll love it. Oh, awesome. yeah, I think that would just be humiliating for everyone. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for your time. Good luck with your race this weekend. And um, if you get any more you know, interesting research, be sure to get in touch. Absolutely, I will do. Thank you very much. Jumbo, your thoughts? Nothing amazingly surprising for me. It's just... It's a hard thing to do if you're, you know, uh, you know, if you're in, roughly in that nine-hour standard, and you think oh, I'm good enough to go pro. Not a lot of prize money out there, and no. everybody thinks easy to get sponsors. It's pretty easy to get product sponsors if you're yeah, a pro. It's the money you want get money. Yeah, you got to have some good angles there. So I think you got to have a, you got to have a business plan. And well, that, I think that, the, 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 so. The big things were. It seemed like people were a bit blind about how tough it was going to be. Mm. Um, they didn't really have any business sense, um, or, 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 you know, not a lot, um, or the, the understanding of how important that would be moving forward. And the performance has not necessarily changed that much. So, yeah, yeah. how much more training? I wonder. I didn't ask that one. How much more training do people actually do when they went from being in a, from a, you know, full-on age grouper to being a pro? Did they actually do much more training, or did they change their so training structures? Let's say this, John. Let's say you're now a pro and you don't have family, and you're a mm. third tier. You know, so you, you know, like Chris McDonald when he first took over from mm. age grouper to pro. How would you set up your perfect day so you could maximise the lifestyle and the living? Uh, I would think I would always have some part-time work to try to. Okay, so it'd be a supplementary income. Be supplementary income, but also to fill in your day. Okay, um, so 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 I know, I know when we were Olympic distance racing full time, there was a lot of time to kill. Yeah, well, and that's not training <laughs> as much as I'm in, is yeah. it? Yeah, so there's a lot of time to kill. What'd you do? Um, it's you sleep a bit. You know, yeah. you go training in the morning. You don't get up at five o'clock in the morning. You go training at seven. You know, you go training, uh, do that, come back nine. Maybe a bit of a late morning sleep. Go out training again, muck around, uh, and then do maybe a third session in the evening. So mm. two or three sessions a day. And you just you just pad things out. You just take your time to do things. You yeah, but I was just thinking, like, if, like if I was, if, if I was, you know, looking to make that step now, I'd go, okay, well, I need to train. Let's say 
average four hours a day and probably mm. four to six, you know, big mm. days and less days. But okay, and then there's going to be an hour of business work, mm. an hour of social media, you know what I mean? So I try to structure my day, also make sure I have social interaction outside of sport. I think that's a key thing is is getting a structure in place, having a time schedule so it's not, oh, I've got a four-hour ride today, I'll do it when I'm ready. So I've got a four-hour ride, I'm going to do it at eight o'clock in the morning. I went and into set speech, you, um, set your day up. At, a, at one of the local colleges the other day for the end of the year sports awards. And um, it was a PT course, at the, and so I went along and did a talk to these kids. And it was really interesting. One of the hard things about personal training is a really failing industry. Like it's... Um, I think the average is about it. most personal trainers like don't last a year or, or mm. only just over a year. It's a pretty highly unsuccessful career, and um, and one of the reasons I, I see it is is that especially because a lot of them are really young, is that they go into a world where they have no one telling them what to do, mm. and so and they don't have a lot of the life skills around how to be functional when you have freedom of time, and it's it's a real skill. Like I know you, you and I are both in this world where mm. we wake up in the morning and. You know, we don't have to be anywhere at any particular time. And so it's a real skill that takes... Like, I know when I first went to this world of freedom, you did kind of waste a bit of your time, didn't you? Mm. And then you kind of learn how to function within that really well. And I think for these guys, it is that whole thing of how do I become really functional in a place where I have a lot of freedom around my time so I can be productive as an athlete, but also do these other things that allow me to generate income in other ways. And so I think, from if, back to the question, you know, I guess how would we make it work is I think you've got to decide if you want to be try to be the best that you can be or if you realistically want to be a world cha- you know, champion athlete. And I think for a lot of these people that are in this position that are making that transfer across, and this is what Phoebe was saying, is they really want to see realistic. how far they can go yeah. and see how fast they can get, but not necessarily aspirations of being top five in Kona or anything like but, that. Well, it's such a big step, isn't it? If you mm. think of if you think of like a, a Chris McDonald who's done bloody well, you know, mm. he has he's been one of these guys who's really kind of nailed this. Um still he's a few steps off the top Kona guys. Yeah. You know. And top age groupers in Kona this year, you know, he's nowhere in the pro field. Yeah. You know, Kyle up Kyle Buckingham yeah, and, and guys yeah, like that. And yeah. so you look at the top age groupers in Kona this year, there there's only maybe two of them that beat Rennie. And so yeah. and, and Rennie's amazing. But Compared to the the front guys, I mean, granted she outruns them all, but uh, she's still not. You know, she is. She, she's, she's not getting a paycheck in Kona, is she? Yeah. If she's a if she's a pro guy, yeah. and at a lot of Ironman races, she wouldn't be getting a paycheck. So unless you're well in front of the top pro girls, which is no mean feat, I talked a big game, but even my best race, I wouldn't have been anywhere no, near it. No. Uh, it's tough. So I think, yeah, if you're going to make that step, um, my my thing is you've got to have a business plan and figure it out. Uh, on how you're going to actually survive. I think you've got to also think how you're going to make yourself the best athlete. If you just transfer across and think, well, keep doing uh, what you've been doing, keep, keep doing what you're doing, that performance isn't going to gain. So I think you need to have some outside influence, whether that be a coach or whatever. But also, what she was saying is that you've got to realise that. That is still going to be long-term growth. You mm. know, you know, just because you give out your job doesn't mean suddenly you're going to be 20 minutes faster next week. Mm. You know, like you've just got to think, okay, in four years I'm working towards this. You know, Gordo's example is, is a perfect one. He he was the most professional person you'll ever meet in terms yeah. of his training. He did every single thing he could to get as fast as he could, uh, and he still got to that standard where again Chris McDonald was. He was about the Chris McDonald yeah. standard. You know, he was in the top three of Ironman races. Oh, Chris probably did better than Gordo. Chris yeah. has won a lot of races, but yeah. but definitely Gordo. If Gordo had stayed down that path mm. and was a little bit younger, mm. he probably could have had a similar. But, you know, he had all the coaches here, and when he went from being an age group athlete to to full time athlete, uh, 
he just got everything in place. Well, but him. also Chris also had, I mean, Gordo had financial behind him, mm, you know. Big so, difference. Yeah, you know, you know, whereas like we look at Chris, it was a you know, much different experience. Um, Athlinks.com, sponsor Jumbo. Yes, so this last weekend we had Ironman Arizona, so I thought oh, I'll go back and, and, and Check it look out. at the girls for a change. We often look at the guys and see how fast they are, but I thought we'd go back and have a look at the girls. So Meredith Kessler did finish second at Arizona last year, but what I'm always interested when I go onto Athlinks.com is actually you know, looking at some of the age group athletes um, and seeing how fast they are, not only at this race, but you know what it takes to be that good across lots of different races, what their 10K times are, what their marathon times are, and so on. So last year we had in Arizona the first female age group athlete is also on Athlinks, Sonia Wyke, W-I-E-C-K, and she was 30-year-old and she finished in 13th place overall. So again, if she was, you know, again, we're going back to that pro thing, fastest age grouper, finishing 13th, she goes, oh, maybe I'm good enough to be pro. Mm. But you're only finishing 13th, you're not going to get a a prize money there. So you've got to be pretty bloody good to make that transfer across. Anyway, Sonia, you click on her and you find out what the deal is. She went 9.35, so a pretty smoking fast time. And then you can just barrel down and see what she can do uh, across other distances. Her 5K time, 19.58. Uh, best Ironman that was her best Ironman 9.35 she go 4.29 for a half iron distance race she's done 103 races on athletics got four th- over 4,000 miles she's from Green- Greenwood Village Colorado 35 to 39 age group now half marathon goes 129 14k 41.52 so yeah if, if you want to be at the top of your age group go on athletics pick out some of the races that you're planning on doing have a bit of a think about where you think you might finish or you'd like to finish and then start barreling down, see what these, some of these athletes can do across some of the slightly more measurable distances you can compare on a local scale. You know, Right, Sonia's uh, won the age group. This was her run split. Right, what can she do for a 10K? She can do 41. What can she do for a half? 129. Okay, if I want to be competitive with her, that's what I need to be doing in the standalone distances. So use Athlinks to yeah see if you want to get to where you would like to get to see what some of those athletes in those placings are doing and work away at getting that fast. Yeah, of course. And you can you too can be someone who has 100 braces on the athletes profile. Mm. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So athletes.com, guys. Check, check, check. Check it out. Okay, guys. Um, questions. We, well, we've been in about an hour. An hour? Without the interview. Without the interview. Okay. I will do my... Um, next week. My my question on nutrition. Did you do a bit of homework on it? I just winged did, it. Yeah, did a bunch of one-liners. I evaluated every sort of diet there is out there. He evaluated with, with four-word answers. Yeah. <laughs> so the depth of evaluation is right, Let's get to the snorkels. Okay, so wait a second. So well, questions and answers. So last week, John had a rant of the week. And what was the rant, John? I wasn't happy about people using snorkels in race. So I wasn't happy about the Ryan Man allowing people to use snorkels. So we got races. a few emails through. We got a few emails kind of saying, well, you know, in all fairness, some people have neck problems. And so it was actually Tim Hemming. Yeah, well, we actually had quite a few people emails through saying, okay. you know what? You know, some cases, John, be me. Be- I put my hand, my hand's just gone up. Fair enough. If you've got a reason to do it, uh, a, a medical reason, I've got no problem with it whatsoever. Okay, so have you read the one on Facebook? No. I'm going to read it to you right now. Yeah. I'm John, fine. get ready to get fired up. <laughs> Jeff Martindale. Good. John, uh, I'm an avid listener and supporter of I Am Talk. I was a little taken back by John's rant of the week. Normally, I laugh when John gets on his rants as they're pretty funny. This week's snorkeling rant was no exception. 
The adamant delivery of the anger that apparently was welded up deep inside his soul against snorkeling users in Ironman racing came flowing to the surface. But I would like John to take a step back and reflect upon watch, uh, that which he despises. The rules of triathlon are that no peripheral devices may aid flotation. Uh, and unless wetsuit use is authorised per water temperature rules to help propel one forward. How does a snorkel do either? In fact, using a snorkel actually creates more drag and makes the user less aerodynamic in the water. John should want all competitors to use one way to give him a bit of an edge. I did my first Ironman with a snorkel. I'd never swam until 2009 and had a... A claustrophobic feeling when putting my face in the water. A snorkel helped me progress in managing this phobia, and over time, I was able to overcome it, along with my issues of with my nasal cavity and sinus getting infected. The snorkel was never a permanent solution, but it is a means to help me overcome my fear while at the same time still competing in Ironman. By giant standard, I should have waited a couple of years and put my Ironman dreams on hold because I wanted to use a device that made me slower. John, shame on you. And Bevan, shame on you for jumping on the bandwagon and improving of John's distasteful <laughs> and uh, oh, for uh, distasteful plastic tubes. My hurt, my feelings are hurt, John. Uh, I know you won't apologise for your beliefs. No, I will not. You're right there. <laughs> and you have that right. But I have the same right to disagree with you. And don't tell me you to get over it this is a topic i've thought about for several years jombo why you go okay well i've, I've actually i've got another technique that came in eddie sent me uh, a little facebook post he's used a technique when he's seen people with snorkels a little less um a little more subtle than my put the thumb over the top of the the, the snorkel so they can't breathe he splashes water into them. Jeff is loving you more right Jeff now loves me okay your thoughts um I'll put my hand up again and say for, for, if people need it for medical reasons, absolutely uh, no problems whatsoever. I get that. Yep. Fair enough. Yep. I'm going to stand by my... Uh, yeah, and my you know, Jeff, I think first of all, you can't say shame on us. I, I, I totally agree with John. To me, an Ironman is an event. When we, If you ask anybody in public, how do mm. you swim? Mm. And no one would say a snorkel is an everyday use of swimming. Mm. You know, and for our sport, swimming is breathing is a part of swimming. And so if you're using snorkeling to, as a as snorkel as a way to breathe, that is making your swimming easier. Mm. So in my mind, if you're gonna be using a snorkel, you're not you're not kind of doing the same yeah. race. You're using a d- device that helps you breathe easier. So I do think that if you want to do an Ironman and you can't you can't swim without a snorkel, mm. you do a bit more time in the yards and you know you got mm. there without it. But I totally get his points about it being <laughs> swimming's difficult. Yeah, and I totally get that people get scared and it is really hard. But I'll go back. I do, just do think, I have a triathlon I, I, first. Yeah, you've got to be you've got to get yourself to that point, and it's going to take some time. Um, I, I haven't really got any good examples for for biking. I mean, you, if you. No. Put trainer wheels on your bike if you can't ride straight, just so then you've got that yeah. safety mechanism. But for me, it's, it's just like same. if you ask anybody in the public right now, how do you define swimming? What are the key factors? Well, breathing is one of the key factors to mm. swimming. So if you can't breathe correctly without a snorkel, then that's not entirely swimming. Mm. And so if that's the case, and um, you are having a, you, you are using a tool that's aiding your swimming to get through an Ironman, mm. and I don't know, like imagine, imagine if you it's turn not, up, it's not, uh, yeah, it's. I don't know. I, I totally get what you're saying. You're not going to get somebody coming out of the swim in the first place using a no, snorkel, but, it's, but, it's but it's not, you could. But it's, it's not the advantage of it. It's more, 
You know, I mean, it's hard. Mm. You know, I mean, it's hard. Mm. And some we all have disadvantages around our ability, and some things should have to be done. And mm. I think breathing is one of them. Mm. So, okay. so Jeff, I'm sorry if you feel shame towards us, but we just will have to learn to disagree on this one. Yes. So, um, Jombo, next question. I'll read it out. So, question is, um, John Jordan, the club. How does that one? Basinger? Yep, go with that. Uh, I heard John mention the run-walk method during his one uh, run on his Ironman. I used the same idea into getting into running a few years ago and used it successfully to finish to two marathons. After each, I felt no soreness and lots of energy compared to two other marathons where I ran the whole time, but I felt super sore and exhausted. Uh, is there a similar method for interval concept for using on the bike? Or is constant power effort more important when cycling? I think the first thing is I have not heard of anybody using the technique of run walk. So on the bike it would be pedal, then freewheel, or I guess soft, or maybe soft just, pedal. Yeah, it has um, to be, or, or light gear. Yeah. So I haven't heard anybody successfully using that technique. If somebody has, I'd be really interested to hear from you. So I think on a practical level, um, at most races these days, which are so crowded it is not realistic to be able to do that. If you tried doing that in Kona, it would just be a complete debacle because you've got so many people around you. So I think that's the practicalities around it is one side of it, whereas on the run, it's easy for people to pass you and you're not really getting in the way. Um, I also think um, the physicist can maybe get in touch with me around this one, but it's different in terms of, you know, when you're on the bike, getting yourself up to your normal velocity requires a reasonable amount of power output and a and a spike in power and so if you're constantly slowing down and then trying to re-speed up uh, it takes quite a bit of power to get back up to your normal speed uh, or normal power output versus on the run that transition from walk to run you know within a couple of steps boom you're straight up to speed mainly because of the you know the wind resistance factor there so I guess to sum it all up my advice would be don't really think it would work on the bike but happy to hear from people that uh, may have tried this otherwise uh, I wasn't really listening did you talk about the, the impact factor like cycling doesn't have the impact so it's not as much of a damaging movement no I didn't uh so yeah, you'd, you'd still get, I guess if you did it on the bike, you would still get that re- mini, mini re- muscle relief in terms of maybe relieving the, the tension and pressure on your calves and you would also have the, the heart rate factor which does happen when you do the run-walk technique. You know, It is about letting your re- legs recover. It's also about you know, that, that drop in heart rate and it's also the mental break as well. Um, but yeah, no, we didn't talk about the, okay. the impact side of things. Uh, Jeff Bradley sent through, just caught up on the podcast. Uh, not sure if anyone responded about this yet. And he was listening to the August 19th, which was my birthday. Um, but there is no charge for IVs in the medical tent. I've been a physician in the tent at Ironman Canada multiple times. The cost is covered by the race and the medical professionals volunteer. We'll be in the tent in Kona this year. I'm pretty sure it's the same there. So there I wonder you if you met the filminator in the tent there, Jeff. He probably did, because the filminator wasn't that happy. <laughs> Sonia Pippin's got um, cold weather cycling message. I've been listening to many of your episodes and aim and awe of your ability to ride in cold weather and in the dark i have no problem in the cold weather but in uh, and in the dark and when it snows and rains etc i dress appropriately i live in reno united states and it does warm up most winter days but i have to do my training early before 7 a.m most days even weekends due to family obligations i get out between 4 and 5 a.m on most days so what do you wear and how do you see or be seen on the bike when it gets around or below freezing? 
Uh, we have temperatures under 20 degrees Fahrenheit in most winter mornings. Firstly, in terms of being seen, I actually feel safer on the bike when I'm out riding in the dark than I do when it's not dark. Yeah, you're probably right, actually, because you're so reflective of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so you get a really good either uh, head Focus. torch on uh, or, or a front um, light on your bike, and I'm talking a really good one. When mine's on, I have to put mine on dip um, when I've got cars and stuff <laughs> coming because it's it's that strong. You know, it really lights up the whole road. There's no problem whatsoever have about it. Have to charge it every road? Or? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I just chuck it on yeah. by default. So I think, uh, and then obviously having a good rear light. So for me, safety... If I was, re- re- um, yeah, I-, I have no qualms about going out in the dark whatsoever. Um, 20 degrees Fahrenheit is bloody cold and I wouldn't be riding in that. So yes, during the winter I did a lot of uh, dark riding, did a lot of riding in, in the cold. I won't go out if the forecast is for freezing. Um, so a lot of my rides ended up being between 2 and 7 degrees centigrade and that's roughly anything above 35 degrees Fahrenheit. So anything below that wouldn't go riding. Well, for those of you who don't know, 20 degrees is negative 6. Yeah. So there's no way I would be going out on that. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> um, a lot of my rides also in the dark were in slightly different conditions to what you have. I usually wouldn't ride in the dark and finish in the dark. I just I would probably just end up being on the trainer for that one. The reason why I was riding in the dark, you know, either at four thirty or five o'clock in the morning, is it was going to be a long long ride, and I was going to be building into the daylight. So you know, I'd be riding from four thirty until nine thirty. So there was light. At the end of the tunnel and at the end of the ride as well. Nice. Uh, in terms of the equipment that I use, the key thing is to get your uh, peripherals sort of taken care of. So a really good pair of gloves. The old Phil and when I go riding with him, he, he doubles up the gloves. Uh, having a really good skull hat and having booties. So you're getting your hands, your head and your feet covered up with really good quality stuff is absolutely crucial. And then always making sure you, know, you layer up with a few layers on top and then finish that off with a windproof layer. I think that's the key thing about riding in the cold it's almost sure. like you need electrical socks, isn't it? Because it's the feet that do your head in, isn't it? Mm. For me, because your hands get cold, but then they get through it. Mm. Whereas your feet, oh. I think what you've got to recognise as well is everybody's different with their ability to handle the cold. Um, there's definitely an element of just hardening up and getting out there and making it happen. But some people just have poor circulation and they just freeze so much more. So I seem to cope fairly well. Again, using the old Philinator example, I mean, he just freezes compared to me. You know, we're similar size again, but he must just have less circulation whatever but he, he he really struggles with his hands and what have you so it's not always a case of just hardening up but there is a big element of that and I would say if you're in a situation where you do have to do a lot of this invest in a good trainer getting the, the kicker for me has made a just a gigantic change in my attitude towards being on the trainer so either getting a kicker or a compu trainer or something where you can make training a hell of a lot more creative big big difference so if you're in this for the long term you know you're spending 750 bucks or a thousand bucks for a for an Ironman entry spend the same on a trainer and get something if you're if you're going but again, get, get a device that actually makes it interesting and, and functional the question you want to work around that is is this am I getting better training by going outdoors or on the kicker and you know and for a lot of people you might get out the door but you actually your quality so poor because you're cold and you're just trying mm. to survive whereas you might get a much higher quality session if you can actually get on a trainer and, and yep. do a focus session so definitely think you get a high quality same time though yeah. those listeners out there that do all their training on the compi trainer or kicker you need to spend some time on the road yep. I think some people get sucked in they, they, once you get used to training you actually like I'm on the trainer almost exclusively at the moment and I think for people that are in that position who do that as well just because it's easy 
you've got to get out on the road and get used to being buffeted by the wind, having to deal with cadence on the road when you've got all the different elements, you know, road to changes in road surface, changes in hills. I think um, a lot of people get suckered into being on the train all the time and they need to get out on the road a bit. Um, Jumbo, I, uh, a few weeks ago I asked on a show about Chrissy Wellington, what she's been up to, and uh, Tim Hemming, who's been on the show a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Um, he's got Chrissy Wellington is currently involved with Park Run over here, chiefly with the development of the Junior 2K Runs, and is often mentioned as a leader of influence in regards to the rebirth of the Women's Tour de France, i.e. they had a race on the final day of the Men's Tour de France in Paris this year. She keeps active, as you would expect, and was the first woman home in the Man versus Horse this summer, although <laughs> didn't beat the, leg, uh, the leading nag, that has only been beaten once. So uh, he also said he didn't think you'd ever see her in Ironman again. And so. she, I, I also saw the other day that she signed on as an ambassador for some cycling team or something like that. Mm. So still, still around the periphery of the sport, but yeah. doesn't sound like we're going to see her anytime soon. Okay, Jumbo. Oh, the one other uh, thing that we didn't oh. mention, uh, I think it was last week, is Gordon Ramsay. If you want to sign on with the Gordon Ramsay Club, uh, you can pay about five thousand pounds to do so. So, so. I asked, so I asked him about what happens with the money. Basically, half of it goes to charity. Yeah. No, you've got to pay half, and then the other half you've got to fundraise. Well, or you can just drop five. Okay. Yeah. Drop five. Yeah. So it's so half it goes to charity, and then the other half goes to race entry and stuff. Mm. I don't know. I don't see the problem with it. It's just like if you want no, to pay no. five grand to go and hang yeah. out with Gordon yeah. Ramsay. Good luck to you. If the money's going to charity. Good stuff. Gordon, he's a good guy. Mm. He's an Iron Man. He must be a good guy. Mm. There you go. Uh, Jumbo sponsor, Coffees of Hawaii. Yes, so Coffees of Hawaii, uh, this is going to be the last show they're involved in, so still great supporters of the sport and they wanted to let us let everybody know that they're going to continue being at Kona every year with their floating espresso bar and also Bevan's recently been to Maui and yeah. Albert wanted to make sure, he's, he's been spending a lot of time over with our current Maui tropical plantation in Waikapu, I haven't been, Maui. who sent the email, was this... Was this well, you went to Maui and you no, were No, but you've said, I've spent a lot of time in the plantation. Who oh, sent yeah, the Albert sent this. Okay. Uh, and so he's saying, come visit us and train in Maui. As Bevan noted, Maui is an awesome island and should definitely be visited by all Seriously. those making an effort to watch, to race or watch in Kona. Uh, they can also buy their coffee there. So... I would have, uh, if I did my trip again, I would have spent more time there. If, mm-hmm. we, played, if we knew what we knew, it was such a good spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's been a fantastic supporter of the show and oh. really they're going to be pushing a lot more for in-store sales and what have you so if you've got a local coffee shop that you've got any influence on try to get them in touch with coffees of why to, to make sure that they're stocking and uh yeah they're just they're our first sponsor on the show been with us for what oh, five years ever, or so, five, you know it's going to be a bit strange to show without coffees of Hawaii, yeah. but you know thank you for everything they've done for us because this show is a big part of them the support they've given us to us so it's mm. been um it's been bloody cool and it's great that they're still going to be in kona every year with the floating espresso bar because yeah. that is a highlight for everybody's trip to kona so Coffees of Hawaii, you guys have been a legend for the show. We really appreciate all the support over the years. Guys, keep supporting them. Look out for them in your local areas. Um, and again, make sure you swim out to that boat. We'll be mm-hmm. definitely doing that when we get here back to Kona. Uh, Jombo sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. Coffees of Hawaii. Good thanks and goodbye. Uh, Jombo, your goss. Um, I think we, we, we did all that goss at no, the start of the show. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. There must, there must be more goss. What's happening this week? 
Oh, the kitchen's going in. Going to help Tommy with swimming lessons. He's got swimming lessons every day. This is one of the being the downfalls of our society in New Zealand. Oh, the downfall of our society. Uh, swimming pools across the country have just constantly been closing over the last 15 to 20 years. What? School swimming pools. Just oh, school pools, yeah. Maintenance and what have you. And, and then uh, the, to top it all off with the earthquakes, that pretty much wiped out just about every single swimming pool yep. in Christchurch in terms of school pools. So these days they um, have two two weeks where the kids go into, well, at some schools at least, at Tommy's school, they uh, go off to the school pool for two weeks of swimming lessons. So I'm going, I'm, I'm help out dad, you know, do my bit for the for the, for the the school. Then we've got the school fiesta on Saturday. Oh, Bevan, this is exciting. What's the fiesta? The fiesta come down Saturday. Thorington's got the other one as a Saturday as well. Better not be this Saturday. It is. It can't be. It is, because the guy in my band, he goes to me last night, oh, because he plays in another band, and he goes, I'm going to Thorington School Fair. I'm playing at Thorington School Fair. You should come down. Thorington School Fiesta. Oh, this better not be. There's going to be trouble if 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 they. Fulanator will know. He'll be there helping out. Yeah. Is it, I don't know if it's called. I think it's the Fulanator School Fair. Okay. Have a look, Jumbo. Okay. There's going to be because for those who don't know, St Martin's School and Thornton School are probably what a couple of k's away from each other. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so they're going to be fighting for the dollar, John. No, no. Yeah, our, our one's pretty well organised. I will say that. Uh, what are you doing there? I'm helping with the bacon buddy stand and oh. also helping with a curry stand or something. What's the like long range river? Oh, it's it not looking good, John. Not, I know, I know. Oh, it's looking hot but wet. 28, which is good. Oh, no, it's Honolulu. That's why it's not that good. Yeah. Christchurch, New Zealand. Okay, let's have a look here. I reckon your friend was confused. He's going to St. Martin's School. Maybe it is St. Martin's School. Yeah. Uh, Surely, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Because. There's nothing on the Thorington website. Interesting stuff for the listeners. But yeah, no, that's. Uh, that's oh, it. oh, 17 and rainy. Oh. That kills us. That kills a fiesta. It, it does kill a fiesta. But S- soggy, 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 bloody bacon thing. Evan, what do you always say about long range forecasts? You don't never trust them. long range. It was supposed to be soggy and rainy on Saturday at the races, and it wasn't. One day, one day of the year, I pull out my suit, get all doled up, and uh, didn't rain. Did it get messy? Sorry, did it get messy? Didn't get crazy messy. No, um, we had to get home to look after the kids. We did you get pretty drunk? Uh, had a few drinks. <laughs> yep, didn't go. Didn't go running nude laps of the. The track or anything like that. So we went on Tuesday, John. I haven't been to the races like since I was nineteen, and mm. we went on Tuesday. And what do you expect when you go to Tuesday races, John? Uh, nudity, messiness, and uh, just the young crowd going, going. It's a young, it's a young game. I don't know what you're doing there. It's, it's a young game on Tuesdays. I can still pull off the young. And it's just drunkenness. Well, Jonbo, it was far from it. It was actually, actually, because, you know, I'm, I'm expecting, because I don't drink, so I'm thinking, I'm going to go, and this can be gold entertainment. Just people getting messy, mm. get a bit of nudity. I was always happy with that. And it was going to be good fun. Went there. Everyone was drunk, but happy drunk. Mm. And the thing is, nowadays, apparently in the last few years, they've really changed things. So, like, from about maybe two onwards, you can only buy one drink at a time. Mm. So, it kind of limited your drinking. And then they will walk around giving free pump, pump bottles of water. Mm. It was actually a happy, fun atmosphere. Oh, that's good. So I was a little bit, you know what, the only thing was this old lady who was, a, sounds like itch, but starts with B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's this lady who was probably in her 60s and she was the only person who I thought, oh, you're a bit of a, <laughs> bit of an itch. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was the only only kind of rough experience. But yeah, so yeah, it was, it was good fun. Good. Yeah, so yeah, now Lindau Lounge, I don't know why you pay 80 bucks to be in the Lindau Lounge, lounge or yeah. lawn. Yeah. A bit of waste of money. Did you have to pay to be where you were? 
well, we pay same sort of 75 bucks to get in, but then we've got our friends uh, got a car park uh, as a car, so you just basically preload all your food and your alcohol into their car, yep. and so you pay 75 bucks to get in to the members area, but then you don't have to pay for any drink or food for the rest of the day, so uh, it's not too bad a day. Yeah, this is not bad, yeah. Mm. That's, that's, that's the key. You've got to have the car, otherwise it end up being a very expensive day. Yeah, so we probably dropped a couple hundred bucks on the day. Mm. But we didn't win anything, which didn't help. You never goss? <sighs> any other goss? Some think Belinda's Christmas present? Oh, we're not really sure what we're going to do for Christmas this year. Mm. Whether we just uh, just chill out. I want to get a mountain bike. And she mountain bike? She wants to get something else done. You are changing a yeah. mountain bike. Over there, more so I can go riding with the kids. Oh, yeah. just from a warehouse. No, I'll get something. <laughs> a little bit of <laughs> in there. I won't go high end, but I'll go. Would you go second hand? Uh, yeah, probably. Mm. Mm. Are you, would you go downhill? Uh, slowly. Yeah, and no, I'm really, really not a good mountain biker. Yeah, I'm a wuss. Really not such good. A wuss. Yeah. I'm such a wuss, I fall off mm. because I'm too cautious. Mm. Yeah. No. Uh, outside of that, Bevan, uh, just trying to exercise once a day if I can. And... Yeah, you said you're trying to lose some weight. Just trying not to put on weight. Oh, I'm trying not to put on. Dealing with getting, with losing that fitness is just struggling a little bit with that. John you know? Oh, yeah, quite right. Yeah, mentally. Mm. Yeah. Mm. How, do you, how do you lose the edge and accept mm. that? Bevan, John, what about you? Went to Hamilton. Hamilton. Been to Hamilton in a while? I've only once been to Hamilton, I think. You only really need to go there once. Why would you go to Hamilton? <laughs> it's just, just you just to be honest, sorry, all, all the Hamilton listeners. <laughs> it's you don't even drive through there when you're going anywhere to stop off. It's like Yeah. No beach. Why would you go to Hamilton? So I went to I was doing some work in mm. Hamilton. Went to the Tron, that's how they mm. was they call it. Went to the Tron and uh turn up, do my work and, and I'm kind of Think, trying to get some lunch and I'm talking to someone I said where's the main street in Hamilton they go you're on it <laughs> I was like oh okay <laughs> that's good so yeah. Hamilton's the city of the future John that's all I'm saying so God. Hamilton was good fun um, and I'm off to Queenstown this weekend oh Queenstown's always good actually I'm doing a public talk in Queenstown John yeah. if you're in Queenstown for the race I've got the uh, the marathon this weekend oh uh, yeah, yeah so I'm going down to, to, to watch our runners and on Thursday night I'm doing a public speech so mm-hmm. so if you want to come along to that uh Check out my Facebook page. Come to New Zealand, go to Queenstown, Wanaka. Yeah, Queenstown, Wanaka is quite a nice combo, isn't it? Because oh, Queenstown is the, the total tourist experience. Wanaka is a bit more of a the back end experience, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a bit more quiet, not so touristy, kind of beautiful. You're right. And I had a question for you the other day. Okay, where you go? Hit me. So, Jeff, I don't think you've ever asked me a question, so oh, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> oh, Get all hyped the, up. The gym yeah. experience, for, this is totally off topic. Yep, go. You, when you're teaching a class in Christchurch, yep. you know, you've got people like Blunder and stuff who hardcore. are hardcore and yep. uh, reasonably fit and what have yep. you. When you go to America, is the standard of people in your gym classes similar in America to what it is in New Zealand? Yes. Right. Yep, yep. You know, it is It is. It is very much the same, to be honest. Mm. Maybe not as quite hardcore. Mm. New Zealand, so it's really interesting you know, I was telling you, I won that world championship thing. Mm. Like New Zealand people who exercise like to kill themselves. Mm. And, and to be honest, it's kind of renowned that Christchurch seems to be mm. like. Oh, Belinda likes going hard out. Yeah, yeah. And, and like even within Les Mills in New Zealand, that the Christchurch instructors have always been renowned as the ones who just have to destroy themselves. I think what happened early on, there was obviously an instructor early on who was hardcore. And you always think at any gym, you're only as good as your greatest instructor. Mm. And so, and in Christchurch, you know, to be successful, you kind of think you have to destroy yourself. So I think Christchurch is particularly probably a little bit harder than 
most mm. places, or maybe I'm just being a little bit biased, but but generally New Zealand tends to be a little bit harder. But actually, when you go overseas, people still want a good workout. Yeah. Okay. So you don't go to America, you don't go to gyms, and it's just a lot of overweight people. It, it, you know, the overweight people aren't at the gyms. That's, that's the problem. Oh, that was going to be my second question. Yeah. Yeah. You get you probably get medium to small people, but do you get many? But even at these mills, we don't get big people. Mm. You know, like, we, but it's, it's the industry's failing. The industry's failing. Well, that's, you know, they've written a book about it. <laughs> uh, but, but it is, um, it is, you know, like it is, it is, it is, it is actually one of the big problems is because it is that thing of we're really good at creating awesome products for people like Belinda, mm. but how are we helping the people who really need us? Mm. And it is, that is the big problem. And so, um, I got, you set up a running program for them. You know, get up to five. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's training hundreds of people. Yeah, but it is, it is, um, but you can understand why, like if you walk into a, a oh, gym yeah. and you're overweight, you're the only person, you know, the, you really don't see big overweight people mm. at the gym. You, occasionally, mm. you know, but it's not, you know, and, but it's also a reflection of how we market ourselves and stuff. Mm. So yeah, no, get it, you know, it's a tough one. So there you go. But Belinda is hard. Enjoy that. You got one question in seven years. I'm pretty happy with that actually. <laughs> I can't wait for my next one in year fourteen. <laughs> I was thinking the other day it's going to be ten years soon. I know because we're coming up eight years. Mm. Ten years. Ten years. What do I use? What year's ten years going to be? Two thousand six. Oh, so we started in two thousand six. So it'll be okay. April two thousand fourteen. No, two thousand sixteen. Ten years. Going to Iron Man or something, won't I? I'm starting to reset. I have less here by mm, then. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you're going to project 2016? Go and Dale Belinda now. It's 2018 at this stage. That's what I'm looking at. Oh, really? You, mm. you think you'll get approval? Yeah, 2018. Because how old will the kids be then? Uh, 10 and mm. 12. To be honest, I think it's more going to be 2020. Okay. Maybe 2022. Yeah. <laughs> once I once I kind of teenagers and out of you here, it's a piece of pie. Oh, yeah, okay, anyway, we've rambled enough. Fine, Russ. I mean, don't train hard. Train smart. Kick, Kick your car. car.